Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. It's one minute after the hour. I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host with BamaMag.com, and I'm joined as always by Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com. And back in the studio, manning the controls, we have Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And Drew, we're coming off a 34 to 20, uh, not clean, but Still somewhat dominating road win, a game where the score against Tennessee was really not indicative of the way the game went. Uh, agreed, Kerry. Uh, wish they had, you know, finished a little bit better in the fourth quarter. Uh, the two fumbles kind of marred it. But in between that, I thought if you had told me, you know, that Alabama would lose their best offensive lineman in Cameron Robinson, you know, midway through the third quarter and would have to finish with Leon Brown at left tackle and Bradley Bozeman, who I never would have thought at right guard, even though I know he can play the position. But if they had, you had told me those two guys would play the last quarter and a half and Alabama would still control the clock, have the uh, best drive of the game, finished off by Derrick Henry 28-yard TD with many third-down conversions uh, uh, on, on the drive. And to top it all off, for most of the fourth quarter, despite the fumbles, being able to control the football and get a lot of big third downs, I would have been very pleased, and I thought, you know, they really stepped up, and I thought Leon looked more comfortable at tackle. I thought Bozeman continued to excel and cement himself as someone that is, you know, very likely to start at one of the offensive guard positions next year since both of them will be open and uh, has a bright future. And uh, just I thought, you know, overall a really good performance. Just want to clean up a couple penalties and really the two fumbles, but – other than that, I thought they, they played pretty well offensively. Defensively, had some trouble getting off the field in the last third down. Got to do a better – did a very good job on first and second down. But I will say this, uh, Tennessee pulled some plays out of there. You know what? Got a little bit. Some We had guys in position like Jarek Williams uh, was in position for a pick. Eddie Jackson was in position. You know, you would think we would have knocked those balls away. But hopefully they will in the future. But, again – it's uh, it's always great to beat uh, Tennessee eight years in a row. And Tony Brown learned the hard way uh, that when you right. don't turn around with the ball in the air and go up a touchdown, you get taken out of the game. Right. you got to turn and play the ball. Cyrus Jones did the same thing. Did come up with a pick late later in the fourth quarter, though, a big interception. And, uh, you know, I thought Josh Dobbs hurt Alabama with their legs a little bit. It kind of caught Alabama off guard that Dobbs played that much, despite the fact it was pretty well known by midnight on Friday that Worley was not going to play and that they were going to rotate the two. And basically, I think they could tell that Peterman was not going to give them much of a chance because he couldn't make plays with his legs, and Dobbs could, so they went with him. Then he hit a few throws. Uh, if I was a Tennessee fan, at least it looks like you found your QB for the rest of the year. 
but if I'm if I'm Alabama, I've still got to feel really good about Blake Sim. Thought he played well on the road. Uh, the one delay of game penalty in the fourth quarter is a little bit mystifying, but thought he handled himself well. And obviously, Amari Cooper put on a show. Amari did. Uh, SEC Co-Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, squarely in all the Heisman talk, uh, I think whether or not he wins the trophy, uh, I think, Drew, and I tweeted this, that it'll be a travesty if he's not at least invited to New York City. Well, of course. Uh, you know, he just put up so many numbers, Kerry. I had, you know, a former Alabama coach tell me that he thought he was shut down against Ole Miss. When you go back and look at the stats, he had nine catches for 91 yards. If Alabama does not get stop themselves on that drive and then get the penalty and throw the interception, he may very well have caught a 10th ball for over 100 in the game-winning touchdown. He played well in that game. He's only been truly slowed down in one game. That was Arkansas where they used two guys. But a lot of that I felt like was Alabama's play calling. I felt like it was way too conservative. They didn't spread it out, didn't try to move him around. Plus, he got a little dinged up in the first half. But, again, other than Matt Carey, to be honest, he has been completely unstoppable and has been the best wide receiver in America, and it's really not close. And his stats right now are mind-blowing. And he could have had even better stats. Oh, well, almost and Alabama could have season. had. He could, Alabama could have had at least one more touchdown. Could have had two more if Fowler hadn't fumbled. Right. But the one more I'm going to tell you about is something that really hadn't been discussed too much. But uh, it's been it's been well discussed that Christian Jones did not start the game because he tweaked a hamstring in pregame warmups. The, the right. public knows that. But I was able to learn through an excellent source that uh, the one play that Christian Jones played Saturday night. And he only played one. Right. It was when Alabama lined up in Wildcat with T.J. Yeldon taking a direct snap. T.J. did not correctly get the play from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. T.J. faked the ball to Christian and kept it for a three- or four-yard loss. Right. What T.J. was supposed to do, had he gotten the proper play call from the sidelines, was hand the ball to Christian, who, yes. despite his injury, was going to lateral it back to Blake Sims on a flea flicker, and the film clearly shows Amari Cooper streaking open for another touchdown that didn't happen because T.J. didn't get the play from the sideline. So that's something that you're probably going to see. I don't know about LSU, but I'll bet you see it against either State or Auburn. There is a flea flicker in the playbook, and it is going to be used. And uh, I don't really care who's listening to this because uh, – if you're another team and you're hearing this, then uh, that just gives you something else to prepare for in practice. So, well, Todd. Well, I'll say this. If that had worked, you're talking a 10-catch game for about 300 receiving yards and three TDs. And right. That, that's probably never going to be broken ever again if that happened. <laughs> it's going to be tough for anybody to, to break the yardage record he set. I mean, I don't think anybody thought anybody would break Julio's uh, record that he set in 2010 in Knoxville. Knoxville seems to be a, a fertile ground for uh, Alabama's best receiver. Hopefully uh, Calvin Ridley so, uh, will be next. Yeah, I was going to say, if Calvin's listening, you know, hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> get, get ready for your first trip to Knoxville, Calvin. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was some little-known information that I, that I came across regarding the one snap Christian Jones did play. And um, so, yeah, it, it could have been worse had that play been executed properly, and it could have been worse had uh, Justin Fowler not fumbled on the uh, one-yard line. Yeah, great run, well blocked, uh, getting ready to, to, you know, 
if not score, be taken down inside the five-yard line and just, you know, it was kind of holding it like a loaf of bread and fumbled the football. You hate it for Jalston. He uh, He's shown he can run the football in the past. It sounds like Coach Saban plans to incorporate him more as a runner now as the season reaches the last third. Uh, and that's interesting, I think, uh, especially with the uh, suspension of Tyron Jones, who, uh, you know, it was uh, definitely the fourth string back. But it could be that they have even more confidence in him than all T10 Penny. And, of course, we've got T.J. Yeldon with a sprained foot. He's not going to practice this week and should be okay for LSU, but they'll definitely take it easy on him and won't crank it back up till next week. Yep, 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 yep. But what my point was in talking about the fumble was not to right. criticize Jalston, and I was not telling about the botch play to criticize T.J. My point was it could very oh, easily been have been 48 to 20. Oh, no doubt. It could have easily been, you know, a, a four or five touchdown game carry. And, uh, you know, if it, if it wasn't for a couple of miracle catches, throwing catches on third down, uh, and to be honest, from what I was told, I have not, to be honest, I'm going to be honest with our audience, I have not watched the television replay, was told by multiple people of a blatant hold on uh, Mar- on Marlon uh, Jackson's uh, 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 run or uh, down the sideline that got him inside the five to set up their first touchdown. Basically uh, was told that there was just a, a horrific hold that was not called. So, you know, Tennessee was very fortunate to be in the game. i got to give them credit for fighting back. But or Marlon Lane, I should apologize, Marlon Lane's run. But uh, Tennessee, you know, I got to give him credit for fighting back. But you're right, Kerry, uh, it could have been much uglier. And Alabama, you know, had the much better football team, which is what everybody thought going in. Right. Oh, they definitely had a better team. And, and you know, and in fairness to the Alabama defense, right? Uh, you know, and, and I guess credit to um, Sergeant Carter. I mean, Butch Jones. For keeping it secret all week, uh, Alabama didn't have any time to prepare for Dobbs. Uh, Not really. When, no. that, when that news broke Friday, Alabama was done practicing. Oh, of course. They've been done, and, you know, for a couple of days. And I'll say this. He did run a couple of plays that are similar to, to what uh, Dak Prescott runs and what Nick Marshall runs. He, he did run some of those plays where you act like you're going to run the ball and you raise up and throw it the last second, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I thought all about play that's almost illegal. Yeah, yeah. those. Well, yeah, those. Yeah, they never they never call it. So it it can be illegal all day. But if the refs aren't going to call it, what are they going to do? You know, they sure right. didn't call it in Auburn last year. And what what they're going to need, guys, they're going to need a much better effort out of. And I'm not you know getting on the young man because I think he knows it. But they're going to need a much better effort from Trey the Priest, who struggled with his open field tackling in that game couple of times. Well, that's a nice way to put it, Drew. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say How about jumping up in the air on a pump fake when the guy's oh, already yeah. passed the line of scrimmage? You, you can't do that. You can't really? lose your Really? You're, you're then, a four-year letterman and a senior, and you go yeah. for that crap? And then Ooh, you, and I then thought you, Cartman there was going to have an aneurysm. And then you and then you miss a tackle, and Odenfield would have made it a three-yard gain. It turns into a 25-yard gain. That was not Trey's finest hour. Not at all. You have to, you got to play a little bit better. But, uh, but I thought Reggie Ragland brought the wood. He did. He did a great job, and then I thought you know Ryan Anderson continued to, to do a good job, and and uh, and then of course Xavier Dixon. I, so I thought overall it was still a pretty good effort by the defense. Not you know got to clean some stuff up on third down, but uh, you know we'll see what happens. But uh, I think again it's still a good victory, and it's uh, pretty cool when you have Tennessee fans taking moral victories for getting whipped by 14 points. You know I'll, I'll give myself a little. Uh, 
a little ad, uh, admoni- uh, admon- admonish myself because I've cracked a lot of jokes over the last years that you drew about the quality or lack thereof of football in the 256. But how about Reggie Raglan? Ruben's going to beat him out by us experts in the preseason to Lombardi nominee. Yeah, exactly. Let's yeah, my finals for the Lombardi Award. Yeah, that's the pretty game, strong. Yeah, the good job, Reg. Down for Reg. You know, he's. I'm good proud job. of him. He's represent. He's a good kid. You know, he's he a good, good kid. kid. Bob Jones. Bob Jones. Um, you can see it in the interviews. He's 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 well spoken. He's he's intelligent. And I'll tell you, I know he's playing lights out at will linebacker right now. Yeah. But I've told you this. Uh, I'm going to be shocked if they don't move him to Mike next year and let him call the defense. Well, he just he's got to get more comfortable with that aspect. He wasn't comfortable with it this year, but he's been able to be beside Trey all year. Uh, and he's he'll be in his uh, he'll be going into his fourth year in the system. Should know it. Would not be surprised if that happens. Hope that Ruben can finally get healthy. He's still a little bit dinged up with his shoulder. He did not play against Tennessee. I was not surprised there. And uh, and so we'll see. But I mean, it's just you know. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens at inside linebacker because I think there'll be some more talent there coming in as far as next year. You'll have someone like Keith Holcomb who's redshirting, who should be ready, who is going to gain weight, who's going to be a much better athlete than what they've had at the position, and and you know, and and then you'll have you'll have guys like hopefully a, a, a signee like Adonis Thomas. The only thing about Adonis, is I think, well, I think we can confirm this with John tonight, but. I'm hearing he's not an early enrollee, which I wish he could be, because I know he'll just be a true freshman. But he has a lot of natural talent and speed, and would help at the position. And and then you and we'll see about that. But I just think that those and then Sean Dion Hamilton will be much more comfortable, and he could even if Ruben continues to have trouble being hurt, he could make a run at a starting job. Yeah, oh yeah. And even if Ruben starts at the mic, I still think that Reggie will call the defense next year. Right, but Sean's going to push for a starting job, and so is Keith. Uh, the veteran linebackers have raved about Keith Holcomb. Uh, before we go too much further, I want to invite our listeners to give us a call on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline, which is 714-510-3707. Again, 714-510-3707. And you can uh, look them up there at bigheadsbbq.net. We'll talk a little bit more about our barbecue sponsor in the second hour. But uh, please give us a holler. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, so, uh, oh, I didn't even know Thomas was asking me to do that. I just did it because I'm a good host. But anyway, uh, so now you have the number. Call in. And, uh, you know, we we probably should discuss uh, all the injuries, Drew, since we're going to a bye week. Uh, certainly you were the one that broke uh, correctly that Cam Robinson had surgery on his ankle, uh, ankle ligament surgery. Uh uh, we've been told he's out two weeks. Nobody talks about what game. I'm here in maybe Mississippi State. Uh, obviously, they don't need him against Western Carolina. Right. But at the same time, you want chemistry on the line. So if that's the week he's ready, he'll still play that week because you want the line to redevelop the chemistry they have with him in there. He's probably been the best offensive lineman on the team this year. I believe Redfish would agree with that, William Barger. Uh, but it looks like he's got a shot, maybe a small one, but a shot to be back by Mississippi State. Well, you know, and I've talked to William Redfish Barger about this. He thinks Auburn will be the most realistic. He says it's – He, I know some have said it's easier for Lyman. He says it's very tough. He's had the same injury. He said it's very tough to come back from, especially when it was as severe as Cam's as far as needing surgery. Uh, hopefully it would be spectacular if he could be back by Mississippi State. But, you know, Denzel Duvall just came back from it. 
Uh, he was gone for nearly four weeks, and he was hurt against Ole Miss. Now he's back practicing during the bye week, should be back. And the one thing I was encouraged about, no disrespect to Denzel, was that Coach Saban said, we need depth there. He's played winning football for us. But in other words, surely Ryan Anderson's not going to lose his job. I don't see how you convince Ryan Anderson. You know, yeah, I mean, you make can't. all the Wally Pip jokes you want to, but I, I, I don't see how you convince that guy. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, he has been, and Denzel can help against LSU. There'll be a lot of regular defense, uh, even in some against Mississippi State. He can play situationally, but uh, and be a good special teams player. And to be honest, Kerry, this is something that I said on my board this week. Some people were looking toward inside linebacker next year. I even think Denzel could move inside, and I think. He could he could he, he could play the position and I and I did not mention this other guy but Dylan Lee will be could play there next year and uh, do that so we will see uh, I think there will there will be a myriad of options next year at middle linebacker so uh, it will be what it will be but I, it'll be very interesting because I just think with the way Ryan Anderson's played he will start the rest of this year and of course next year and then you've got uh, you know Xavier Dixon is gone so Ryan could theoretically move to Jack. But you're, everybody's hoping that Tim Williams and Rashawn Evans take over there. So you'd have Ryan Anderson at Sam Linebacker, and then you'd have uh, – and, and then you'd be able to – Denzel Duvall could back him up without a doubt, but you'd also have some other pieces coming in that you think uh, could develop into players. So you never know with Christian Miller redshirting, and, and I even like Jamie Moses. He'll be a special teams player, but I think Christian Miller could definitely make an impact. But it will be interesting next year. I think the linebacker core – uh, could be no disrespect to this year's group. Well, it could be deeper and more talented next year. Well, and uh, you know, talking about some of the other injuries, uh, uh, how, how much do we know about it, the possibility of T.J. Eldon being good to go for LSU? Uh, he, should, as I just uh, said earlier, from what we've been told, he's going to be good to go. He told a, a very good source, a good friend of mine, after the game at the bus. He said, you know, I've got a sprained foot, but I should be good to go. He missed most of the fourth quarter, uh, you know, so he – but they, they took him out as a precaution, had the boot on, and they said he would not do much in practice this week. And he, he, I, he probably won't practice much at all. But should be good to go on Monday. And, I, you know, he's, he's had a little – he's had some nicks this year anyway, injury-wise, had an ankle issue. But I think TJ will be okay for LSU because this bye week will do him a lot of good as far as rest and then he can get some more treatment all over the weekend, and then they can even take it easy on him Monday and Tuesday, and then maybe crank it up Wednesday. But I think uh, TJ should be okay for LSU from what I'm told. Uh, and, I, and I think the same is true for Christian Jones. He's actually oh, running yeah. routes already again. Yeah. I guess the only other big question mark would be Brian Vogler and his strained knee. Yeah, he sprained the knee, you know, uh, and that was told after the game. He's not practicing this week. Uh, he's wearing a brace right now. But uh, I think he's not going to practice much at all this week. But I think he's another guy that can come back next week and do and do that and, and, uh, and, and practice and be a factor uh, by Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday at the latest. I think uh, with the well, you know with the, the physicality of the LSU game, they're going to need Brian's experience. And I think more than likely he will be back as well. That's what I'm hearing. And also, they got to be a little bit discouraged with uh, O.J. Howard. Once again, he got another penalty, a false start. He's just got to cut out the mental errors because he's such a talent. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, he'll be ready to go. Because his, if uh, Brian Vogler, you know, is still a little slowed, 
his uh, role will be a big one in Red Stick. You know, I probably should be eating some more words because I probably said on this show times in the off season. Oh, I'll bet you O.J. Howard catches more than 14 passes this year. <laughs> now I don't know, Drew. Yeah, I mean, he's he struggled with the other parts of his game, carry and even with the catch, and he's had some drops, has not, you know, adjusted to the ball, like to me, like a stud athlete receiver like he, like he is should, you know, like on the deep ball against Texas A&M, on the ball, deep ball against Ole Miss. He has not made plays when he's been, you know, called upon at times. Uh, he's shown flashes, but has not been consistent. And then, like you said, he, he's not blocked all that well at times, gotten some key penalties, and he just needs to, you know, overall, uh, this has kind of been a little bit of a sophomore slump, but he just needs to clean up some other aspects of his game because he's just a supreme talent. But uh, it also wouldn't surprise me, Kerry. Uh, you don't, I don't really think Alabama wants to get into a complete fist fight with LSU. They need to spread the field out, I think, against the Tigers, and they need to attack them with their wide receivers and quarterback because I think basically that's where LSU is vulnerable. And because LSU likes to get into a physical contest, you saw what they did against Ole Miss, uh, you know, and they 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 did not play well against Auburn, but in all in some other games they have, you saw even Florida was able to throw and catch on them. So I think it's going to be uh, imperative for uh, for for Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban to spread the field out and be aggressive and attack LSU. And Thomas Watts, I believe you got a thought on that. Yes, go ahead, Thomas. Well, I think the thing with LSU is, Drew, you've hit the nail on the head. Outside of Jalen Mills, who's a very solid DB, LSU is still a very young – it's a young team, but particularly on defense. Um, The big guy that LSU has really developed this year is a middle linebacker by the name of Kendall Beckwith. Oh, yeah, we recruited him. I, I think everybody recruited him. And uh, he has, he should, he's a developed guy. He is, through this year, LSU is still giving up some yards on the ground. But what I'm going to say next week, I'm just going to give you a slight preview, is you knew going into the year that LSU was going to get better because they were so young. They were going to struggle early and get better late. And Agreed. Beck was one of those guys. So now, where it, like statistically, LSU has been giving up a lot of running over through the middle, like the middle of the field. Well, now their middle linebacker is more athletic, and they're kind of tamping that down. So I completely agree that on the perimeter, even if if, if Chavis is crazy enough to do the third and Chavis five-yard off zone defense, Cooper's going to eat him up. But then you're also going to be asking Mills to do what Vernon Hargraves couldn't do, and I think Vernon Hargraves is a better athlete, better corner. So it bodes well on the perimeter for Alabama. Yeah, I agree, uh, Thomas, no doubt about that. Uh, I think they match up well with with LSU secondary. As a matter of fact, the interior of this defensive line for LSU is not the, you know, is not the usual athletes that Alabama sees at the defensive tackle spot. There's Uh, no Glenn Dorsey. Yeah, there's no Glenn Dorsey, no Tyson Jackson. Uh, there's no uh, even the even the kids last year. Uh, there's no uh, the Ego Ferguson no, and Tank Ego, Johnson or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah Anthony Johnson and, and Freak Johnson and Ego Ferguson. They're gone. So they they've been able to get gashed. I think Alabama just needs to still mix it up though. And I do think you know they need to move Coop around, and I think they will. And the funny thing is, I'm gonna give y'all a funny story. I I was this is everybody knows it's my first trip to Knoxville. Uh, tailgating with some very fine people, uh, Tennessee fans, 
along with my one Alabama friend, uh, Eddie Gambrell, who's his in-laws. They were very hospitable, nice folks. I uh, was talking to his brother-in-law right before the game, right before we were about to leave for the stadium. And he says, well, I will say this. Amari Cooper's the best receiver in the country, but Chaz Sutton's going to take him in coverage. And, and I don't think they'll pick on him very much. Says, Nobody really throws at Sutton. And I turned to him. I said, look, man. I said, everybody thought Vernon Hargraves would slow down Cooper, too. And that didn't happen. I said, so I expect Alabama to still go to Cooper. And we all saw what happened on the first play. They moved him across the formation in motion. <laughs> you get him in the flat. You get two good blocks from Chris Black and DeAndre White, and it's to the house we go. And he had 140 yards receiving in the first quarter. So, I mean, uh, I just thought it was a nice, uh, well-called game for the most part by Lane Kiffin. Only took offense to a couple of calls. Didn't like the jet sweep to Cooper. Thought that was a bad call. And, of course, as we've now we've been told, it is affirmed, you know, I had people complaining about the Wildcats, but one of the Wildcats wasn't supposed to be a true Wildcat play and should have been a flea flicker touchdown. And then, and then the other one that kind of guys that kind of just, what are we doing? It was the screen to DeAndre White on second and down and one. You lose a yard, and then you end up screwing it up and not even getting the first down. That kind of surprised me. But uh, other than that, I thought Lane Kiffin did a nice job. He did, and I'll tell you something about that jet sweep. Uh, it had horrible results, yes. horrible results. Yes. But you know what? It's on the film now. Oh, yes, yes. It's something they could go back to later. and It's worked in the past, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I'm going to tell you guys, I know this is an SEC. We're an Alabama show, but we're also an SEC show. And everybody realizes we're on during Game 7 of the World Series, and I'm going to be honest about it, though. Former South Carolina game caught Joe Panic. Boy, he just made an he made a wedge gym last in and turned one of the most beautiful double plays you're ever gonna see. He'll Still be on two, the sports two. center. Yes, two two and and uh just got an infield hit to lead off the inning for the Giants. Uh Omar Infante couldn't quite make the play, slipped on the turf and the grass, but I'm telling you what, it's been a good ball game so far. And unfortunately for Braves fans, Tim Hudson didn't last too long, got got rocked in the top of the second or excuse me, the bottom of the second and uh has already been pulled. So uh, Royals have not gone to the bullpen yet, but could be about to here in the fourth inning. Uh, they were only planning on trying to go with Guthrie, probably five five maximum. I wanted to say one more thing before we get off LSU. We're going to have an in-depth preview on LSU next week from Thomas Oh, Black. yes, we will. Yep. But I wanted to say one more quick thing about that game. Uh, how about LSU lining up and hitting Ole Miss's defense in the mouth that last drive until they threw the ball to the tight end of the senior never caught a pass in his life? How about the 12 plays before that where they lined up and said, here we come, stop his pitches, and they couldn't stop him? Well, and I'm going to be honest. That's what they're going to do to Alabama, Kerry. Because they're going to try to do to Alabama. That's what I'm saying. Gonna, Alabama can put eight men in the box and stop it, I think. Obviously, Ole Miss could stop it. You, you would think so. And, and, and what do we say about the Ole Miss-Alabama game, Kerry, that Alabama got away from? Alabama, in the third quarter, had begun to dictate to Ole Miss and was running it down their throats and then got a little bit too cute. They had scored there to go up 21 to three. Everybody knows the game was over. And Alabama, if they had just continued to pound it inside and play action, I think they would have scored. It's that's assuming a lot, but I think they would have, and it would have been Katie bar the door. But again, uh, it is what it is. But LSU did what Alabama should have done and kept hammering and then hit a pass. But they're going to try to do that to Alabama. I agree. Alabama's got you know a more, a more physical front seven. Maybe not as fast, but big and strong. 
and they, they should be able to hold up against LSU, but I think they're also going to have to be ready for the Mad Hatter to empty the playbook because he'll probably try to pull two or three trick plays out of his hat too because I still think Alabama, they, it's going to be old school because they're going to need to slow LSU's running game down and, and you know, and, and make uh, and make uh, the QB beat them. And, you know, they, they're the number 10. He hadn't been too swooped. Uh, you know, him, he's been hot and cold. Uh, but I don't, you know, I'm not sure that he's a guy that I think Alabama's going to think can come in and beat him. But of course, as Rodney Orr told me, friend of this show earlier this week, you don't want him to have a Jordan Jefferson afternoon like 2010. Nope, you don't. And we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, LSU, a lot more about LSU next week. But for now, uh, calling two minutes earlier than he was supposed to, we have our. Uh, <laughs> our, our weekly call from a man whose watch is always fast. He's just not fast. Uh, our friend, Big C, Colin McGuire from Greenville, Alabama. What is going on, son? Not much. I was going to make sure I was on time, big man. <laughs> You're early. You got, still play. Coach Bly's going to catch you late for a meeting or something. That's right. <laughs> What's going on with y'all tonight? Uh, what did y'all Doing well, Big C. Was- How you doing, man? Good, Bruce. Uh, what did y'all think about Alabama's performance? I know they jumped out to a 27th and nothing lead, and after that it just sort of they couldn't. Uh, they lost the momentum, and then they got it back, and it could have been worse, but it turned out to be a 34-20 to 20 win. What was y'all's uh, opinion of the game? Well, uh, I, was, I, was, I was very encouraged by the start, the Big C. I thought, you know, it was a, just a, almost perfect, you know, three straight, you know, except for the botched extra point. Uh, three straight, you know, touchdowns. Then you score them four out of five when you're on the zone read. Perfect, uh, uh, perfectly read by Blake Sims. Goes in for 28 yards out. Uh, you're up 27 to nothing. The whole stadium's pretty much quiet. Uh, you've done a great job of silencing them. Then kind of let them back in it a little bit. Kind of lost focus somewhat. But uh, I mean, and then you're a little bit nervous when it's 27-17. But then as a good team does, Alabama answered. Uh, got back to mixing it up, converted many big third downs. You know, Blake Sims was very sharp throwing and running, using his legs. And then the big-time run by Derrick Henry pretty much silenced everybody. And I just thought it was a big-time gut check, as I said in my – said uh, what Jack Rillage would call it. It was a gut check. And Coach Bryant used to always measure his teams against Tennessee. He used to always say, you know, you didn't ever really know how good you were until you played Tennessee. And, of course, Tennessee's down right now, but it still was big to answer them and go back up 34-17. And when you did that, you pretty well knew Alabama was going to control the game from here on out. Yeah, and they and they did so except for the two turnovers. Uh, they pretty well dominated the fourth quarter. Well, they, I have to agree. Um, now, the only thing is, now I guess the, they weren't prepared for the zone read. Uh, hopefully – in the net. Well, we need to worry about LSU first. Uh, what is what is the status of Cam Robinson right now? I know he's hurt. Is he going to be able to play against LSU? They're going to have to hold him out before Mississippi State. Well, you're going to have to start listening to the first half hour, man. <laughs> well, you make us right. say all this stuff again. We just got to say. It. Well, <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, they think Big C. There's a small chance that he might be back by state. But that might be a little optimistic. But state is what they're hoping for right now. Yeah, he had to have surgery, Big C. He tore ligaments in his ankle, much like Denzel Duvall. 
had to have surgery this past Monday, uh, you know, and he will be, I was told by a very, very, very good source, four to six weeks rehab. So that would put him back around Western Carolina, much like Denzel has been out four weeks. But we will see. We'd love to have him back by Mississippi State. But and I'm sure they will rehab aggressively, but no chance against LSU. And we will just have to see, you know, uh, that's why they're going to do a lot of experimenting with Austin Shepard at left tackle this week and uh, Grant Hill at right tackle. I still think there's a decent chance it'll be Leon Brown at left tackle, where I think he looks more comfortable than Bradley Bozeman at right guard, which you saw in the Tennessee game. But we will see once uh, Monday comes around, because I'm sure they're going to go with this group for, three, for the, this whole week. Because, you know, the only time that Austin Shepard has played left tackle and Kerry Clark can attest to this was in a scrimmage this past spring. He did a pretty nice job. But, again, he's never played left tackle in a game. Well, they moved him back to right tackle because he felt more comfortable right, right having played there all year last year. That mm-hmm. being said, <laughs> that being said, they were really happy with the job Bozeman did at guard Saturday. Oh, and really happy, yes. The first two practices this week, Tuesday and today, Austin's been at left tackle. Bradley's been at guard, and uh, the right tackle has been Grant Hill, yeah. uh, who who played well Saturday night as well. And mm-hmm. all the veteran offensive linemen, he's a veteran now. I guess Grant's a junior now. Is he a junior or a veteran sophomore? He's a, he's a, he's actually a true sophomore. So a true sophomore. Well, Grant is uh is being you know touted by the veteran lineman as as a guy that would start anywhere else in the league, and he's very talented. Mm-hmm. And, and and so, I, you know, don't be shocked if you see Austin Shepard at left tackle and uh, and, and Bradley at, at right guard and, and Grant Hill at right tackle against LSU. I think there's a distinct possibility we could see that group. That's the group they're working right now. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, um, they've been working. And Leon's a good kid. Leon. Leon's a talented player. But, uh, Drew, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to interview him, but He's not in any danger of solving world hunger or, or world peace. Oh, you know, he's, you know, there. I don't know about him out there at left tackle. I don't care how physically talented you are. you got to know the calls and all that. And Leon's been playing guard all year. Austin's smart enough. He knows all the calls for both tackles. Yes, so mm-hmm. don't, don't be shocked if you don't see Austin at left tackle in Baton Rouge. And I think Alabama can win in Baton Rouge with Austin at left tackle if they have to. Yeah, that's very mm-hmm. true. And I think – and I do – but I do think that Leon – so it surprised me even. I mean, I thought he did a nice job at left tackle against Tennessee. I thought for the quarter and a half he was there. And people forget he was recruited as a tackle. He spent most of last year as a tackle. So uh, he should be comfortable with Crystal Ball wherever they put him. And like Coach Saban said in the press conference after the game, he said, you know, at that time they were they're thinking that Leon Brown was the second. All right, Big tackle. C. I think they're just they're trying to see what they're going to do. Well, Big C, yeah. I'll uh, put, put you on the spot here because uh, – you got this kind of ranking system that you put out that nobody really understands it, but you, but you were uh, you were kind of close on what you put out and what the committee put out yesterday. So why don't you mm-hmm. tell us about the ranking systems that you put out every week about the, the national football college teams and how close you came to what the committee put out? Okay, um, let me get my notes out. Here we go. Uh, you want me to go ahead and tell it, or go ahead and explain how? Oh, it works? So, you got the next minute and a half. We're just going to shut up. All right, let me go ahead and give out the rankings. Number one is Mississippi State. Number two, Florida State. Number three, Ole Miss. Now, I have one, two, three, four teams uh, tied for fourth. Now, it's supposed to be Arizona State, not Arizona, but Alabama, Alabama, Oregon, Arizona State, and then the the shocker vote, 
Marshall. And the reason why they get that many folks, they just got they don't their schedule's terrible, but they got they win, and that's the only reason why. Then Georgia's number nine, eight. Number nine is West Virginia. Now the Auburn fans ain't gonna like this, but this is the way how my system works. They're num- they're tied for tenth with LSU and Utah with twenty four points. So like you said, uh, let's see Mississippi State FSU turned out right. Missed Ole Miss by one. Alabama. Uh, well, no, no, I got Ole Miss right, didn't I? Yeah, they're number three, right? So I got the first right, three but, right. But tell people, tell people how you come up with those numbers. Oh, okay. Like, if you're a power, beat a power five team, you get five, uh, three points. You beat a team unranked at home, you get one point. You beat a ranked team at home, you get uh, – wait a minute, that's right. Let me do this again. You get one point for beating an unranked team on, at home. You get two points for beating an unranked team on the road. You get three points for beating a ranked team at home, and you get four points for beating a ranked team on the road. And other points come into play, but that's later on now. This component, this head-to-head thing, I don't know. Can you explain that to me? Because I don't exactly understand that. I don't understand who you think Marshall has beat. We ain't beat nobody. See, that's the only part of the, my deal that's a little different is I don't know how to do the scheduling. It's like I told you, they're just winning, and right now they played eight games, and it just adds up that way with what the way they play. But the best they've done, done is a four, and they get a three most, most of the time. They get four points for beating a team like Troy State on the road uh, and two points because they're not a power five team. And then they get one point when they play at home. And it just, whatever reason, it added up to that. And I'll recount it again, but that's the only – the flaw, I guess, in my system is you don't – if you're undefeated and you're a team like Marshall, I don't know how to – the component I don't have in there is this head-to-head thing like they're doing on that system there. But other than Marshall, mine's turned out pretty good, wouldn't you say, Kerry, other than Alvin was number two. No, no, you batted 750. I'll give you credit. You bet. Now, the, the committee, to my recollection, had uh, Mississippi State 1, FSU 2, Auburn 3, Ole Miss 4. Is that right, Drew? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's – so yeah. they – you know, and, and they're giving Auburn credit for the, the schedule they played, I guess. They're giving Ole Miss credit for beating Alabama. They they didn't yeah. really take a whole lot of heart in Ole Miss's pissing away a game Saturday night. But, but yeah. that, you know, hey, here's the thing. Either Ole Miss or Auburn is going to be gone from the front of Alabama this Saturday night, no matter who wins, right? Correct. Oh, yeah. And then you got, and then you got see, see, the deal is all Alabama. I mean, I don't know what's all going to totally happen, but I think things that, like the old Al Brown, uh, Davis saying, just win, baby. Alabama wins the rest of the out. And you never know what's going to happen between, you know, Auburn might beat Miss Ole Miss this weekend. Arkansas is a possibility because they're going to play them out there at Fayetteville. And then you got Mississippi State could knock them off. So you don't know what's going to happen there. And then I think things Alabama's just got wins. Absolutely. I mean, if Alabama wins out, now this is my theory, and I don't know if people say the committee's not going to do this, blah, blah, blah. If Alabama wins out, I still think Alabama goes as a four. Uh, even if Ole Miss wins the SEC championship, called or Georgia wins the SEC championship, if Alabama wins <laughs> out, I don't see him. I don't see him being left out. Maybe I've just got crimson colored glasses, but uh, Alabama's going to jump to either five or four this week. And if they mm-hmm. keep winning, I don't think they're going to decide. Oh well, uh, you know, so and so won their conference with two losses. Let's bump Alabama out, even though we had them four the last eight weeks in a row. I don't buy that. I, the committee can't mm-hmm. be that stupid, can they? Yeah, surely not. 
What do you think now? Let me ask you this. If Notre Dame has one loss at the end of the year, you think they're in the, in the dance? Or what's your opinion on they're that? They're number 10, Dixie. They're number 10 oh, in the right. rankings. And the reason they're number 10 is they've only got one. They don't have any quality wins because Stanford's 5-3. and three. That, that peed that out the window. And then they, the one good team they played had a chance to beat. They didn't beat them. Uh, I, I yeah. no, I I don't think I think Notre Dame could win out and they still wouldn't make it. Yeah, I don't see them jumping three spots just because Notre Dame. The committee didn't seem to be too impressed with their schedule. And yeah, I agree, Kerry. And to be honest with you, I I still am not sold on Notre Dame. I think they will drop a game to Arizona State. Very possible. Uh, or you know, and they also start to play Southern California. There's a, there's a scenario USC could beat them. Let's go three time zones away from where they live. It's very possible USC could beat them. No, no, Big C, Notre Dame is not the discussion for now, and there have to be a ton of upsets for them to get back in and out. But I still say say if Alabama wins out, they'll go in as a four, even if they don't go to Atlanta. And I'll say this. A lot of people think Louisville could upset Florida State. If that happens, FSU is finished. There's no way they'll get back in the conversation because the ACC is so weak. Yeah, yeah. Cause who would FSU play in the title game for ACC? Uh, maybe Miami. Point. That's not really a quality win. So of course. Yeah, I agree with you, Drew. If, if FSU drops Louisville or whoever, I, I, I think FSU could get to. If anybody beats FSU, I think they're out. Exactly. Yeah. I think one loss Alabama goes ahead of one loss FSU. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. That would also well, be true for one loss Auburn or one loss Ole Miss or one loss State. I think all those would go ahead of one loss LSU. If it well, is. yeah, because the ACC is a joke. It is. It is. It's like when Big C called in here thinking you were Bruce Paris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They do both live in Huntsville, though, Big C. Yeah. Oh, you and from Huntsville? Bruce yeah. is a good guy. I really like him. I hadn't talked to him in a while. He's a good fellow, though. Yeah, I'm so but, torn. Uh, I, I, you know, Bruce's uh, grandson is uh, the best long snapper in the senior class in Alabama, maybe the South Dixie. And uh, they're, they're coming up with what's probably going to be, and in some cases what is going to be, the first round of the high school playoffs. And I'm looking around trying to figure out, you know, who to cover that first week of Friday Night Lights uh, in the playoffs. My column I write for BamaMag.com. And I'm seeing, okay, Bruce's grandson, who plays for James Clemens in Madison, is going to be coming down here to play Oak Mountain. Yeah. That would be tempting if I had some confirmation that he was going to accept an invited walk on to Alabama. I don't have that yet. Have you heard anything about that, Drew? I've, you know, Bobby Williams and, and Nick Saban have been talking to them. They'd like him to do that, but he's also, you know, been on visits to UAB, South Florida, Southern Mississippi, uh, you know, South Alabama. He's been on. He could end up getting some scholarship offers. We will see. Yeah, uh, I, I need to know. find out about that because I got to make that decision in the next week and a half. But the game I'm tempted to do, Drew, because it's so convenient, is Viger is coming up here to Calera, and I want to see the Sherry's Flowers. Well, yeah, Kerry, I I would love to see that. I'd love to talk to the Sherry's Flowers, considering he won't answer the telephone. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> pretty much Mr. Quiet, so I wouldn't mind seeing Desharius as well. I know he's been a little bit banged up this year and hasn't been able to, you know, have the kind of senior year he wanted. But I think he had a hundred-yard game last week, so uh, I would. I 
I would not blame you if you went to see Mr. Flowers. Well, that's the one I'm tempted to do because even though a good friend of mine's uh, daughter's a cheerleader at Oak Mountain and, of course, the Paris family, uh, Bruce, yeah. Butch, and the son, Ryan, I, I can remember Ryan being like a toddler. And me oh, sitting no doubt. Butch, me sitting in Butch's living room watching the 99 Alabama at Ole Miss game when Sean Alexander went crazy, and, and Ryan could, could just barely talk then. And now Ryan Paris is a senior long snapper, James Clemens High, I tell and you, what, starting center, pardon me, and starting center, okay. And I tell you, you know, Big C, Drew, everybody on this call, but Thomas. I mean, damn, we're getting old. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I can remember when uh, I worked at uh, Hibbert Sporting Goods for five years. He and his dad would come by, and, you know, gear all the time, and I, you know, and he was growing up then in elementary school, and it just seemed the years have just flown by. It's hard to believe he's already they fly a senior. By, that's- Sure. And they sure do, and uh, you know they're they're very proud of him. He's worked hard, and and he and, and let's also not forget he's been named the Alabama Mississippi All Star Game. He is going to be that's pretty good that day. game, and, yeah. and it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play some offensive line in that game. He may very well. He's done a nice job at center for them, and they've also got another big offensive lineman, Kerry. Uh, you know their, their big uh, their big tackle Logan Steenberg. He's the first SEC signee for them. Uh, in their program's history, he will sign with Kentucky. He's six foot four, two hundred and eighty-five pounds, and uh, and they have a running back, uh, junior Maceo Booker, five seven, one eighty, but he doesn't run that that small, and uh, he's very very good back. They got upset by my Panthers last week in overtime, thirty-five thirty-four, after they had their two-point conversion call back that would have won it in overtime. But uh, wow, they uh, they have had a good year. Uh, you know, beat Mountain Brook on the road earlier in Birmingham. Almost beat the Gaston City Titans and lost a close one to Bob Jones. And it's the first playoff berth in James Clemens' history. Wow, it's a big deal! I'm happy, happy for Ryan, for Butch, and for Bruce. Uh, yeah, great. The Parises are as good a people as you'll ever meet, no doubt. Well, um, I want to. Can I mention something else, Wild Man? Since we're on the phone, I guess you got about one minute. I also want to let you know I've got a new show called Talking Bama with Big C. And uh, take that the show for the LSU game yesterday, but we'll be putting it up next week. So you can go back and watch the preview, uh, the recap of the Texas A&M game and the uh, history of the Alabama-Tennessee series. But you can go all the way back to show one, all the way up to that show until next week. But uh, as always, I appreciate y'all having me on there. I still want you on there, even though the fact that Alabama has an open date this weekend, uh, like we did. I before. gotta ask you a question, Big C. Cool. You know, I make jokes about the audio board at the radio station you work at. It's all in fun, but I gotta ask you a serious question. On the show, talking Bama with Big C, the TV show, who does the yeah. audio editing on that? Guy named James Crenshaw. Tell James that when you're talking, and there's a, a highlights of a game on the board behind your head that he needs to pop down Channel 2 audio so the announcer on that game is not talking as loud as you are. Uh, when oh, you learned that okay. at Broadcast Lab in 1977-78. So he, I, tell him, you know, Channel 2 audio needs to be potted down while Big C's talking. To right, him. Be, Sometimes the I'll announcer be, on the highlights is as loud as you are. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice. Mr. Quality Control happened. trying to help you out, not criticizing. Just Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll let him know that. He, well, he, I got uh, three degrees in broadcast, and I know a little bit about this stuff. <laughs> well, like, we gonna, I count the U.S. military eight-week school I went to as a degree because they gave me something in a, in a diploma. But anyway, um, Big C, I'm going to have to let you go here. we got some other people that have I'll questions you, in my chat I'll room. I'll call you practice. 
morning, though. I'll have you on at 10 after. Is that good enough? All right, Big C. Appreciate it, man. Thank, thank you, Big you. C. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Big Bye-bye. C. Bye-bye. All right. Goodbye. Yeah, thank Bye. you, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> he did it again. All right, well, I guess you should be honored he's calling you Bruce, but uh, well, I called Butch Bruce, so oh, did I've never I did. That. I did once, yes. I've never done that. I, I, I guess because I've known Bruce so much longer than I knew Butch. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're still taking questions on the Big Heads Barbecue hotline, which is 714-510-3707. And I want to remind y'all, <clears throat> even though I guess I've been banned because I keep forgetting to bring drinks and cookies and stuff, I want to remind y'all that you can come by and try Big Heads Barbecue at the tailgate. You know, no matter how, how many times I do this commercial, I still can't get a free triple threat, but that's okay. Uh, you can go to BigHeadsBBQ.net and check out the menu. Uh, they cater private parties, uh, all kind of events, church events, school events, uh, athletic team events. If you're just hungry, they'll cater that too. Uh, you can see the catering menu online. That's BigHeadBBQ.net. Uh, you can also reach Big Head Chuck a variety of ways. Uh, you can email him at BigHeadChuck at gmail.com. You can call him at uh, 251-379-0094. That number again, 251-379-0094. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter. That's at BigHeadsBBQ. And he's also got a Facebook page. There's a whole lot of ways to get a hold of Chuck. And uh, I tell you what, uh, his homemade sauce is as good as you'll ever taste. Uh, I don't care if I'm banned. I still ate it enough times to know how good it is. So uh, <laughs> I think I'm probably making him feel guilty right now. Yeah, probably not. He probably don't care. But anyway, uh, I'm hoping if I save his commercial, which I have been saying faithfully the last four or five weeks, Enough times that maybe by the Auburn game I can eat again without bringing something to the damn tailgate. I hope so. <laughs> anyway, um, roll tight anyway, Chuck. Love you, man. Um, and Heather, if you're listening, God bless you, sister. All right. Uh, we got some uh, questions from the chat room, uh, one of which I don't even feel qualified to answer, so I'll let Thomas answer that. Thomas, why don't you take that first one about who beat two this weekend? Okay, sure. Uh, I have Auburn beating Ole Miss this weekend and the reason is I, I texted with Drew about this on Monday the Ole Miss post, like start of the week press conference Bo Wallace said something on the order of he wasn't happy with the play calling for LSU it's one thing to say that in the locker room it's an entirely different can of worms to say it publicly and I, I feel like that plus the injury to Denzel Kimdichie it's kind of putting Ole Miss on a, on a rocky path. So I have Auburn beating them. Mississippi State, in terms of they're going to – they'll beat Arkansas. I think it will be interesting to see can Mississippi State stop Arkansas trying to mash. I think that, that's, good. that's the question that, that this week. And then it's clear sailing to State until they come to Bryant-Denny on the 15th. Yes. And something – I'm just going to say just my thought on – Alabama, because obviously Alabama still plays Mississippi State and still plays Auburn. I feel like the key to the remainder of the Alabama season is going to LSU and winning. Right. Because, and obviously, the easy answer, because it's the next game. But Alabama this season has shown to be a completely different team at home. Like I, We, we said this a bunch after the Texas A&M game, and I'm just going to reiterate it this one time. Never in my life have I seen a team play off the fans 
and the fans play off the team like I saw for Texas A&M. And if that happens again at Mississippi State and at Auburn, and I think it will happen, it's tough for me to see Alabama losing those games. So that would put all three of them losing a game at some point. And one of the things, Carrie, I did want to add to your point a little earlier about if Alabama wins out, they'll make it in. The committee's really boxed themselves in right now because looking at who they've got, somebody's got to lose in there. And Alabama will have wins over two of the four in the top four right now. So you're going to artificially move Alabama down, even when in their natural progression they're going to be four. That is going to blow the system apart in its first year. So I completely agree with that. But to answer the original question again, just to reiterate, and then I'll pass it back to you, Kerry, I think all three of them are going to lose, but this week I have Ole Miss losing. Well, and I want to say something, too. I think uh, when you watch the, the, the highlights and what Bo Wallace did late in the ball game, for a guy that's a senior quarterback who's played three years in the SEC in a, in a big road game, they're already near field goal range, and then he gets greedy and throws into coverage and trying to go for the downs. That didn't show me a whole lot. I mean, it was it reverted back to the bad bow, as they try to say. And he did not play well on the road at LSU. He spent more time from what I was told, and I didn't – again, I was at the Alabama-Tennessee game. But I was told he spent more time jawing with the fans almost than he did anything else. And you can't jaw with fans, man. It's about business. you got to go out there and play football, be focused on your job. You can't have rabbit ears and hear what these fools are yelling at you. Because if you let them get inside your head, you're done. And I think he did that last year a lot. I think Alabama got inside his head. And obviously, he reverted against LSU. And now, to be honest, I've always questioned the makeup of this Ole Miss team, even though I think they have excellent defensive talent. I would not be surprised, guys, if if Ole Miss comes apart and becomes a three- or four-loss team. It's odd, you know, and it sounds like blasphemy. But I'm sorry, we as Alabama fans need Ole Miss to lose this week because we need to be know that we can win the Western Division. Yeah, of course. Do I want to pull for Auburn Saturday night? No, I don't want to pull for Auburn. Do I want to go to Atlanta and get a shot at Georgia? You damn right, I do. So for that reason, for common sense, Heather, anybody else thinks I'm crazy because I'm pulling for Auburn? Alabama needs Ole Miss to lose, and I don't know that we can count on State beating them. Yes, we probably can because y'all are right. They seem to be coming apart a little bit. But the true assessment of how they're coming apart is if they lose to Auburn Saturday. And if they lose decisively. And I was told well, that's what I mean. By, that's what I mean. I don't mean 31 28. I was told today by a good friend that despite what's being said in the media about Hugh Freeze and Gus Malzahn and Kumbaya and friends and high school coaches, there has been an issue come up between Malzahn and and uh, and Hugh and Malzahn is out for blood this week. Oh look, Malzahn's going to run it up on anybody he can because he knows that this committee is made up of human beings and human yeah. beings look at the score. And so we will see if Ole Miss can handle adversity and their first adversity of the season. Their defense still played very well. You know they did give up some rushing yards in the fourth quarter, but when you hold a team to three points for most of the ball game, and then only to ten, your offense needs to come through, and they did not. I still question Ole Miss because they can't really run the football. 
even though, you know, Auburn defensively has had some issues. I think it's a very, very fascinating matchup Friday. And I think, of course, the loser of the game has been said all week so far. The loser leave town, and the loser of the game is in trouble. They are in trouble, and I believe that game is Saturday, Drew. But, uh, Saturday. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. Here's, here's what I think we as Alabama fans need to happen. We need, and, and hopefully Thomas' prediction comes true, I think we as Bama fans need for Auburn to beat Ole Miss this week and eliminate them from the West. Then, now that it's been officially announced by the NCAA today that Todd Gurley is returning for the Auburn game in Athens, we need Georgia to beat the living hell out of Auburn on national TV in Athens, led by 250 yards from Todd Gurley, so that when Auburn gets to Bryant-Denny, they're hanging their heads a little bit. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Well, yeah, that would be a, an excellent scenario. Auburn will always be fired up for Alabama, but if they're already out of the race, it would definitely change some things. And and, the, and what we haven't said is Alabama's got to handle business against LSU. They need to, that's oh, what a lot of people haven't said. Uh, this is unbelievably Alabama's last road game. They need to take advantage of this, handle business, beat a rebuilding LSU team, a young team, uh, beat those guys, send a message, and get back to the friendly confines of Bryant-Denny Stadium where they will have a chance to, uh, you know, write their legacy against two teams that could easily be in the top five in America who, if you beat, will, will impress the heck out of the committee uh, even if you don't get to the ACC championship game. But more than likely, if you win those two games, Kerry, you will be in Atlanta against the Dogs. Yeah, I was reading a projection by um, Brandon Huffman, who's a national writer for Scout.com. Yes, and he put an article out today predicting how he thought it would go the rest of the way. Yes, and he he predicted most of all those things to happen, and that Alabama would win a first round playoff game, and would then turn around. And his prediction was that Alabama would get to the national championship game in Jerry World and lose to Florida State. And uh, I will say this: all I'm going to say, I don't understand where he got that, but I liked what he said up until the last paragraph. Well, I will say this. And I'm on, and, and he Brandon is is welcome to his opinion. That's very that's fine and dandy. All I'll say is if Alabama gets Florida State in a one game and one game deal, good luck to Jimbo Fisher because he's gonna need it, buddy. I want that's Florida State in round one in New Orleans is when I'm on them. I'd I'd take them either either in the semifinals or finals, and Alabama will beat the hell out of Florida State. I, I think so too. I think uh, I think Florida State's had some very shaky victories this year, and uh, I think Florida State coming up against Alabama would be eerily similar to when Notre Dame came up against Alabama a couple years ago in Miami, and that was brutal. I would love to get a shot at Clown Fisher, and that's all I'll say. How about the pitcher of the Florida State team uh, practicing? First off, they practiced in a public park today and couldn't understand why people were taking pictures. That's number one. But number two, walking to the bus, they passed by, and people got a picture of the Florida State football team walking by a Louisville branch of Joe's Crab Shack. That is gold. (laughs) That is funny. Well, I did want to say one quick thing, and then we do have a caller on hold. But I just kind of wanted your opinion on this to to both of you. Is Alabama coming in – quite frankly, unexpectedly low in the first college football playoff committee ranking thing. Does that, to me, I took it as a very good thing because the team will stay hungry and they'll be like, all right, we're one of the best teams in the country. Now we want to go out and prove it. A- am I alone in that, Drew, or is it, or, or are you or kind of with me there on this? 
Uh, somewhat, yeah. I, I was expecting Alabama to be four, five, six range. I didn't really think it'd be top three. Um, I, I kind of thought they might be fourth or fifth. But yeah, I mean, it, it's still a, they're still in a very good position. You're one of the top two out, and you have a schedule coming up where you're at LSU, which is in the top twenty. Uh, you know, and then you're at, uh, and then you, you at home you get Auburn and Mississippi State, who right now are in the top four. So you, you unlike you get you have the the schedule unlike any other. You can prove yourself and your worth as to whether or not you're worthy of being a a, a, a playoff team. And if they can get by LSU first, and that's what they need to be worried about, then you set up a three game gauntlet at home, which is where you want to be playing against the two really good football teams in between a game you're going to mash someone. But, again, they if Alabama can continue to play well at LSU, send a message, it sets up for a very, very nice uh, November where Alabama can, you know, can, can make the biggest statement in college football. And I think this team is hungry. And I think they realize that they should have beaten Tennessee, as Kerry said, 49 to 20 or 49 to 13 or, or as a good friend told me, if it had been at Brian Denny, it would have been 50-7. to seven. They realized that they still got to get better and clean up some areas, and hopefully they did not have a good bye week of work earlier in the season. Hopefully they, they took that to, uh, into account and have had a much better work week of work this week and then will go on fall break and come back focused and refreshed and ready to rock in red stick. Well, I uh, have been notified that another way you can get a hold of Big Head Chuck to get some information on his catering services is by emailing uh, bighead at bigheadsbbq.net. So that's, a, that's an updated email address. And on the Big Heads Barbecue hotline right now, we have our, as Thomas likes to call him, our good friend, Marty from Gadsden. What's up, Marty? Hey, Marty. Hey, Hey guys, I tell you what, I'm still enjoying that great cigar after that victory from Tennessee. There's nothing like a good cigar after a victory over Tennessee. I mean, especially when you get to see Phil Fulmer before the game, and he did say years ago we would be out of business. Wonder who's out of business (laughs) now, Phil, with no end in sight. (laughs) Hey, uh, you know, here's how I'd like this to play out the rest of the year. You know, if you know, this this weekend with Auburn and Ole Miss, it's a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. You know, I can pull against them, I can pull for them. You know, I'm going to choose to pull against Auburn. I, I just can't get in my – I just truthfully can't get into it to pull, pull to pull for Auburn to win that game. But if Ole Miss wins, no big deal. That's that. You know, or, or if Auburn wins, no big deal. But I'm going to, I'm going to pull for Ole Miss because this is where I want to see play out. I want to see, you know, Ole Miss win that game, you know, because I, I do feel that Mississippi State will beat Ole Miss. I, I think they're a better football team than Ole Miss is, you know. But here, here's – and I want Alabama to win out, of course, you know. But on the east side, I'm damn tired of Alabama having to play best damn team coming out of the west – I mean, the east. Every time we get an SEC championship game, we have to play the best – I mean – uh, we never get a, a powder puff like Auburn does or somebody else does coming out of, that, uh, of the East. So I hope that Missouri wins out. I hope Florida beats Georgia. You know, I hope we can match up with Missouri in the SEC championship game and I finally get somebody that we, it's not going to be such a physical game that we have to beat. You know, that, that's where I like to see play out. Whether it will or not, I don't know. 
I still feel like we can count on State to beat Ole Miss and just think it's a done deal. That's going to happen. I, I'd like to think that, but the quicker Ole Miss loses and the quicker I know we can win out and go to Atlanta no matter what, the better I'm going to feel. I see what you're saying, Marty. It is a win-win, or I guess you could call it a lose-lose for Alabama fans this weekend. But deep down inside, because I don't think we can count on State to win in Oxford as a done deal, I'm going to feel more uh, better about our chances if we know that we went out and we're going to Atlanta. And for us to know that sooner than later, we need Auburn to win this weekend. I hate to say it, Marty. I really do, but I'm just being practical. We need to go to Atlanta and beat Georgia. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's just that's just something I thought up in my mind. I just you know sitting around thinking about what I'd like to see happening. You know, but one thing about this selection committee that that kind of bothers me, and you know, I, I don't have any problem with the top four that they put in there. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with Oregon being five. You know, Oregon got beat by a team that you know they shouldn't have got beat by. Alabama got beat by what the number three team in the nation. You know. Why was Alabama not put in the fifth position and set in the sixth position? That, that kind of confuses me a little bit. I know it's relevant. It doesn't matter. Alabama wins out. You know, our chances are good. But I, I don't see where they're coming from on that, that selection. Can y'all clear I that up? I think they dropped the ball on Oregon. I, I think Oregon should not have been ahead of Alabama. I would have had Alabama five. If you're going to put the emphasis on head-to-head of Ole Miss beating Alabama, fine. Okay, I get it. No way would I have had Oregon without Alabama. I would have had Alabama five. I probably would have had them four. But I could have lived with five easier. I'm not going to go on the Internet and whine about it because I know the path is clear. We just need somebody to knock off Ole Miss for me to feel 100% sure. My fear is that Alabama would go 11-1 and and then get left behind because they wanted to start taking conference champions while they haven't been putting them in their pole that high all the time. That's my fear. Uh, I, I just When you have a human element, I like to be sure – and I'd feel more sure if Alabama was the SEC champion having beaten Georgia. Well, I'd just like to know the logic of it. I mean, if these people are going to be making decisions, you know, what they're going to put in this playoff, you know, I want, I'd, I've just thought about it. I've thought about it a bunch. I mean, this is a bonehead decision there. If they make this later on down the road, this is going to affect some people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about this committee being too politically correct in this time that we live in, you know, and that bothers me. You know, I, I, maybe I'm just venting. I want to get it off my chest. Bob, I think you have a great point. I, I would have been fine with them keeping the BCS formal and just taking the top four because that way we've been, we, we wouldn't have had any question about who would have been the top four. You know, we would, if Alabama won out, they would not have been left out under that formula. Now you've got a human element. That's why I think we need to see Auburn knock off Ole Miss. If Auburn does not knock off Ole Miss, Marty, we really need to see State knock off Ole Miss. Well, I think State will. I really have – I have confidence they're going to do it. Because, you know, because this week could be – really could be – the dominoes could really fall this week. And there's a possibility it could really happen. There's a possibility that Arkansas could beat Ole Miss. I mean, it is a possibility. It's a possibility Louisville could beat Florida State. It's a possibility, you know, that all uh, that you know. Well, of course, Auburn or Ole Miss, one of the two, is going to lose in that game. You know, this domino could fall. Then what is it, what's that picture going to look at after that? Well, it'll be crazy. It'll be crazy. I, I think by this time next week, Alabama's. Well, we know Alabama because they don't play. Should jump to five next week, but they could jump to four depending on what else happens. You're right. You're right. You're right. 
Well, that's that's my rant for the week. You know, guys, I, I don't know if you had a participation chart ready this week or not, but, you know. Oh, I got uh, it. I, yeah, I, man, I, I got it. I was, I was counting on you calling. And it's really not as long as usual because they were only able to play uh, 51 kids because of the fact that Alabama had penalties and turnovers that kept the game a little closer. I want to have one but thought about this game. I can tell you, who those 51 kids were. Uh, and let me have let chart, me. We, let me have one thought about the Tennessee game. And, you know, and Drew brought it up, and, I, and you know I, that 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 bothered me with this finesse crap that that Alabama tried to put in on some of those plays when we should have been dominating that team and putting them away. You know that kept Tennessee in that ball game. And Drew, I agree with you one hundred percent. That that was some boneheaded calls, in my opinion. You know when we should have been running it down their throat. You know, and ending that game and shortening that game and, and making that Tennessee quit. We kept Tennessee in that game and gave them hope, and that 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 really teed me off. I just had I had to say that too. That's fair. Well, here's the 51 guys that, that played. Uh, offensively, the starters uh, left tackle to right were Robinson, Quanjo, Kelly Brown, and Shepard. Uh, Vogue tight end, Blake Sims at quarterback, Yeldon at running back. Uh, DeAndre White, Amari Cooper, and uh, Chris Black started at wide receiver despite the error on the Tennessee participation chart. Chris Black started. Christian Jones only played one play, but he did play. Uh, also coming off the bench were Tony Brown, Bradley Sylvie, uh, Ryan Anderson, Cam Sims, uh, Adam Griffith, uh, who's battling some injuries, Deshaun Hand, Sean Hamilton, uh, Ardarius Stewart, J.K. Scott, Cooper Bateman, Maurice Smith, Jabril Washington, Geno Smith, Dylan Lee, Derrick Henry, Alti Tempenny. Um, some of these guys only played on special teams. Rashawn Evans, who did do some pass rushing. Uh, Jostin Fowler, costly fumble there. Could have been costly, but anyway, should have been a touchdown. Uh, Alphonse Taylor, uh, mainly on the extra point field goal team. Uh, Dalvin Thomason, Cole Moss of the snapper. Tim Williams, B.J. Petway, Bradley Bozeman played well. O.J. Howard, Brandon Green got some time at tight end running game. Dakota Ball. And uh, Brandon Ivory. So that's the folks that played uh, against the Tennessee Balls in the 34 to 20 Alabama victory. And we have spent the better part of the last hour breaking down team stuff. But now we are going to uh, turn the tables a little bit and uh, go ahead and bring on John Garcia from Scout.com. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some recruiting. So without further ado, uh, John Garcia, scout.com, BamaMag.com. What's going on, man? Thank you much. Uh, this is exciting. It's a fun, fun time of year. A lot of discussion, not only with, of course, college football, but, you know, the World Series is, is finishing today. Basketball is back in motion. So it's, it's sort of that nice time of year. As the weather gets a little colder, we have more of an excuse to sort of watch everything on television. So uh, I'm not complaining. Oh, not absolutely. No doubt. Good to have you back on, John. And, I guess the the first question to get you started is uh, since we've last had you on the show, now Donna Thomas is officially decommitted from Florida, and a lot of speculation around Alabama. He's announced he was going to visit, you know, two to three t- for the last three home games. Uh, supposedly, we'll see. You know, he'd been slated to visit earlier in the process this season and had not. But just kind of update our listeners on the uh, Donna Thomas developments. Yeah, you know, you know, some decommitments surprise some people, and then there's the Adonis Thomas type of decommitment that always seemed like a matter of when and not if. So sure enough, uh, as speculation just continues to run rampant with uh, the future of Will Muschamp at Florida, 
Adonis decides to take a step back and just sort of go go to the place where he was in the middle of the summer, just just as a normal recruit, not committed anywhere, and just looking to take visits and certainly see where things stand um, pretty much up to the last second because that's what recruiting has become, you know. Guys who commit early are often, you know, the ones who who stick, and then sort of those in-between guys are, are the ones we usually see, you know, on and off the commitment list because uh, they weren't, you know, so early where their spots reserved, but and they're not five stars, so they're in that that flux position where coaching changes uh, can make a difference, late offers can make a difference, the numbers game makes a big difference depending on the program that they're looking at. So Thomas obviously falls in that coaching category. Well, Florida, you know, for people who don't realize has had a big lead for several years for this kid, and it's all because of Will Muschamp's staff. And that's the difference. Georgia, or if we're talking about a kid from Alabama uh, and the Crimson Tide, those are different scenarios because those guys are tied to the school because they're from the area. They've they've had family history at these schools, what have you. But the affinity that Adonis Thomas has had for Florida for the last three or four years has all been – Will Muschamp driven. So the fact that he is on the hot seat is, is major, as major as can be with his recruitment. It almost takes Florida completely out of the mix, although he's still technically considering the Gators. Of course, Alabama was the school that finished number two for his commitment on August 1st um, in the summer, uh, and obviously the school that, that made it hard for him to pick the Gators. That's how much of a push Alabama made there at the very end uh, after his last visit. His mother finally made it to Tuscaloosa and and sort of gave her seal of approval and, and led it up to Adonis to make that final decision. And, and he set the commitment date before knowing which school he was going to pick. It was really about that 24 hours prior to that August 1st mark where he really knew, you know what, I'm just going to stick with the Gators because it was, it was more comfortable at the time, and understandably so. But obviously now, not so comfortable. So Alabama is the assumed leader, and, and that's, that's a fair assumption. They are the leader. It is the situation that is most likely to play out. The interesting thing to me is that there are more players in the game now. We mentioned Georgia. They've sort of mm-hmm. uh, reopened that line of communication saying, hey, you're an Atlanta kid, you're an in-state guy. Uh, and he's he's one, it's funny, on this show we've talked about Daryl Williams out of Hoover High School improving a lot in the last year and sort of making Alabama say, oh, hold on now, and, and sort of reevaluating right. how they look at him. Adonis Thomas, same situation with Georgia. Georgia is was going to take a ton of defensive backs in this class, linebacker. They were only going to take a few. Uh, he was sort of on the outside looking in, you know, early in the spring and in the summer and then has put together some very solid tape as a senior. So they're sort of doing a double take and saying, hey, now that you're on the market, let's let's get back in the game. And then LSU is sort of the dark horse in the whole scenario. It's the school that uh, if you're, you know, if you're a defensive in no matter what position, LSU is the school that's going to intrigue you at least a little bit. And that's sort of where it is right now. If he doesn't, until he visits Baton Rouge, I wouldn't get too worried in terms of the Tigers making the move. I think Georgia is the primary threat to Alabama right now. And then, of course, Florida, uh, just depending on, on what they do you know, at the top, if, if Muschamp and those guys go on a late run somehow and rattle off some victories, I think the Gators can very well jump back into the conversation because, as we said, he's completely tied to that staff. But the Crimson Tigers feel very, very excited about the possibilities of landing in Adonis Thomas, and, and their patience is paying off because, you know, funny we mentioned Williams. Williams was a guy that Alabama took a second look at but since, has since put Adonis Thomas seemingly just above him in the pecking order. So should they have uh, not been patient and pushed for Darrell Williams' commitment, they could have been left, you know, in the dark with Adonis Thomas once he reopened his situation. So 
there's always a domino effect and there's always a numbers scenario and, you know, Alabama's patient, you know, a lot of people freak out, oh, they haven't had a commitment in, in over two months now. Well, sometimes that patience, you know, pays off from the staff perspective as opposed to everyone thinking that all these kids are clamoring to commit to Alabama. There's a strategy behind it all, and linebacker is going to be one of those fun scenarios down the stretch between Adonis Thomas and Darren Williams. Well, and, and John, also, I know you told us this, uh, you know, off the show, but uh, – I know you've watched a lot of film with Donis. He's someone you're very familiar with. I think you had told us that he, you thought he was the best coverage inside backer in the country. Uh, kind of just talk about his skill set and how it would translate to Alabama's system. He's a space guy. Um, you know, he, he screams, you know, I can play nickel immediately. Uh, he just he belongs, you know, somewhere on the edge, preferably, in my opinion, on the backside somebody who could run with, you know, running backs coming out of the backfield, obviously tight end, slot receivers to a certain extent. That's just what, where he belongs. He's not a, a type to, you know, think of a Reuben Foster who who's built to take on fullbacks and, and, you know, and eliminate those guys so other guys can make the play. That's not what you look at an Adonis Thomas to do. You look at him to play off that backside. Again, very similar to, to Darrell Williams at Hoover. You want him to play in space on the backside, occasionally rush the passer, uh, and, and really shine as a tackler in space, which, again, is, is much more uh, of a need than it was even five years ago. You know, five years ago you could get five Reuben, Reuben Foster types in five years and say, you know what, linebacker's good, you know, for, for the next four or five years. You can't do that anymore. You need these coverage space linebackers that can deal with a running back on one play, a tight end the next play, and tackling an athletic quarterback in space on the following play. So I think Thomas is much closer to that uh, than any linebacker, you know, on Alabama's board right now. He's got the size. You know, he's a legit, you know, tall 6'3", and he's bulked up a little bit too, probably closer to 220 than he was in the spring where he was, you know, between 205 and 210. So he's bulking up, and the film is not taking a noticeable drop-off. He's rushing the passer a little bit more as a senior, so that kind of polish and versatility is always good to see from any prospect going into their senior year. So it seems like he's he sort of takes command of his role. You know, as a junior, I thought he was a little, uh, I don't want to say soft because these guys are all big and strong, but he was more uh, of a tackler than a hitter. You know, that's changed a little bit, a little more aggressively, and that could be a schematic thing. It could be a confidence uh, with your assignment within a given play. So I think uh, the light bulb has sort of went off for Adonis Thomas, at least from what I see on tape. I haven't seen him this fall in person just yet, but on tape uh, he's certainly flashed uh, as much as anyone in the country at that level for that type of linebacker. So I think that's another reason why Alabama and Georgia and LSU are all sort of uh, really trying to get in the mix for him now that he's back on the market. So he's an intriguing prospect, uh, a quiet prospect, which makes it all the more fun to sort of uh, to sort of track him all the way through the process. Um, but he's a smart kid as well, so he's not going to say the wrong thing. So it's more of a situation where you have to track the visits and where he's leaning to, towards anyway. So the fact that he's He's always planned to visit Alabama several times this year, as you said, Drew, unable to make it for a couple of games and hasn't been to campus just yet, but certainly has three more opportunities to get to Tuscaloosa for a home game and possibly get to Atlanta to see the Tide in the SEC title game should it be uh, playing in that game. So there's plenty of opportunity for Alabama, and certainly the Tide is in the driver's seat, so it's a scenario that uh, fans should like. John, I'm going to ask you a question about a junior college player who's committed to another school. You're going to be shocked to know that it's not Javon Robinson. 
<laughs> I would like to know what you are hearing, John Garcia, about Florida State commitment D.J. Jones of East Mississippi Community College. Well, there's there's certainly some some chatter growing between not only him and Florida State. I don't want to say parting ways, but uh, just other schools having an influence and a true say uh, in his recruitment. Remember, when he committed to FSU initially, that was sort of a surprise. You know, he he's from South Carolina. Uh, most people have pegged him to end up back there, and if not South Carolina, certainly somewhere within the SEC, considering you know, the geography and what have you. Florida State's not too far off, but again, SEC, ACC, big difference. So the fact that he committed to FSU in the first place was sort of a surprise. You know, he visited, fell in love with it the whole nine. You know, JUCO prospects can take official visits sort of at the front end of their uh, their sophomore season, if that makes sense. So obviously Florida State benefited from that. Well, he was going to check out all these other schools and ended up sort of skipping out. Alabama didn't get him on campus, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Auburn also in the mix there, so it was it was kind of quiet after after that because you figure well he fell in love with FSU, done deal. Well, all of a sudden the last couple of weeks chatter ramps up. He visits Auburn uh, this past weekend and certainly says they are a factor. Didn't go on record about Alabama at that moment, but there are certainly some rumblings about the, the tide uh, looking a little harder uh, at that prospect again. Another one who's improved uh, on tape in this fall and, and you know he's at East Mississippi Community College which has become the college to recruit and of course you know the college to to evaluate uh, with because those guys not only are are top of the JUCO world you know coming off of a national title but they're also going against fellow SEC ACC commits every single day you know first in perspective on EMCC this is where Alabama got Jaron Reed and DJ Petway a season ago, and obviously they, those are the, the guys that beat Javon Robinson and Georgia military in the national title game. So certainly there's a pedigree there. Um, there's a, a ton of buzz there this year. They've got Chad Kelly quarterback in their team to all sorts of records. So uh, there's a lot going on at EMCC, but DJ Jones might be the best prospect on the entire roster. So certainly uh, schools that were in the mix at one point are looking to get back in. And I'm hearing Alabama is one of them now. He's another one with JUCOs until they visit really can't put a lot of stock in it. So uh, I would imagine if he is going to visit, the tie would probably like to get him around that uh, November 15th date for Mississippi State, of course, which is relevant to him, uh, being familiar with both programs, or if not, of course, the good old Iron Bowl, which is shaping up to me uh, a very big official visit weekend. It seems like every week there's a new big-time prospect penciled in to visit for the Iron Bowl. So it wouldn't surprise me if DJ Jones was sort of the next one on there, but uh, the good news for the Tide is that the window doesn't close at that point if they can't get him on campus next month. Of course, the middle of December is always a big official visit time for guys who are transferring in in January for JUCO and, of course, enrolling early out of the high school ranks, and Jones would be in that scenario. So basically Alabama has four more legit chances to get him in for a big-time impressionable official visit. So uh, if they're going to make a move, it'll be here in the next uh, five weeks or so. So we'll, we'll know much more uh, going forward. But certainly there's interest growing for D.J. Jones. And it's not, uh, before anybody freaks out, it's not because there's any less confidence in De'Ron Payne, who's the number one overall target at defensive tackle. Jones, a little bit of a different player, more of a T.D. Moten type of player if you, get, if you catch my drift in terms of his size, his potential, and and possibly, ultimately, you know, the likeliness that he ends up in Alabama's class. So think a bit more in that regard as opposed to somebody replacing uh, a Durante. John, talk about uh, the 
developments such as they are, uh, as far as Alabama trying to add another one or maybe even two offensive tackles to this current class. Yeah, that's another one. You know, that's uh, linebacker is going to be dramatic. Uh, I think uh, running back could be dramatic depending on what happens late. Same thing with receiver. But the one we know is going to be dramatic is offensive tackle. Uh, there are four commitments on the O-line. We we all know them by now, Warmack, Kennedy, Cotton, and Pettibone. Uh, but they're all interior guys at the end of the day. Cotton, if, if one of them had to move out, obviously he would be the one. And there's there's some open dialogue with that going forward. But it's clear that it's a backup plan. The uh, ideal scenario would be to bring in one or two of the top, really the only offensive tackles left on the board. I think we can all assume that Martez Ivey's scenario is out of the window. It's really, you know, clearly an Auburn-Florida battle, another one where uh, it will be interesting to see the, the must-champ fallout there. The Tigers could certainly benefit um, from that. And then, of course, Drew Richmond, one of the other top initial targets, um, seems really solid to Ole Miss. You know, I think he's visiting Tennessee uh, this coming weekend. So there's other schools that could get him on campus in Alabama. The overwhelming feeling is that he's going to Ole Miss. And if he doesn't go to Ole Miss where he's recruiting his tail off right now, uh, Tennessee would probably be that second school. So Alabama never really running better than third for him all the way through the process. So uh, as it usually goes, you sort of move on from those guys. You know, you don't stop recruiting him, but you certainly don't put as many resources into those guys. So that leaves um, the emerging target, which is Matt Womack, the LSU commitment, uh, ironically, from Mississippi, and then Isaiah Prince, who is a, is a long-time target, uh, but a guy who's, who's still kind of an unknown because, you know, he wasn't a big camper in the summer. He didn't go to all these flash events. Uh, and he plays on Saturdays more times than not now, so he's not even able to make a ton of visits outside of going to, you know, Maryland, which is right around the corner from his house. So uh, he's, he's the unknown, and it's not, it's not his ranking or anything. He's a scout 100 guy ranked way higher than Womack, but he's just not in the news as much because he physically cannot be in the news except for, you know, narrowing down his list and stuff like that, and he's done so. You know, he, he's got a Final Four, Florida, Alabama, which were listed as co-leaders, and then Ohio State in there as sort of a dark horse, and then the local option, Maryland, certainly in the mix in the school he's, he's clearly more familiar with. Um, Womack, uh, sort of the opposite scenario. You know, Prince is taking it real slow because he hasn't been able to get to any of these schools, and he'll make his official visit to Alabama in the middle of January. So two weeks before signing day, he'll make that official visit. And it's the only official visit he has scheduled, so I think that tells you a lot about where Prince is at right now and the priority Alabama has made him and the fact that they've already got that official penciled in and have had it so for, for two or three weeks now. Womack, other side of the coin, possibly enrolling early, obviously already committed to LSU. And, and again, he's, he's an emerging target because, like we talked about with Adonis Thomas, his, his tape has got better. This is a kid who camped at Alabama each of the last three seasons, never sniffed an offer, including this past summer. So, sure enough, he moves on, camps elsewhere, and has a great summer circuit, picks up all these offers, obviously picked up LSU, made the pledge there, and it seemed like that was it. Well, he visits Alabama early in the season. I think it was for the Florida game, perhaps the game before, and he gets the scholarship offer. All of a sudden, the Crimson Tide is, is shooting way up the list, probably the 1A to LSU because it's the school that he's competed for that offer more times than not. So it seems like they like what they saw three games, which is the magic word 
any recruit wants to hear when it comes to their film. They got it, they liked it, and then all of a sudden he gets a scholarship offer. But what's been more interesting with Womack is that since then, not only has Alabama increased um, its, its status with him with resources and sort of just trying to make a move, other schools have also done the same exact thing Alabama has. Uh, Mississippi, Mississippi State, the in-state schools, uh, I guess, felt like they shouldn't have whiffed on them in the first place and now are all of a sudden trying to make up ground to keep the kid at home. And then Alabama has gone out of its way more than, than it has with any other prospect in this entire cycle, making it a point to not only tell him but his father and his mother how much of a priority he has become. And uh, according to his father, David, the last time Nick Saban and, and, and Matt spoke, which was two weeks ago, he flat out told him, you are number one on the board. So uh, just a crazy rise from, from late summer where an offer wasn't there to now where not only is there an offer, but he's shooting up all these you know, three or four and, and five-star type of guys to be at the top of the board. So um, that, that kind of uh, pressure has, has only done good for Alabama in the past. And I would imagine that it's doing good right now in the fact that he's middle of December uh, is going to be a big-time scenario because nobody else will be on campus. It'll be all about him. It'll be all about um, the, the Thai staff spending time with him because they'll have the resources and, and time to do so because there won't be an SEC title game. There won't be, you know, some game they're preparing for, sure, the bowl game. But, you know, you and I both know those scenarios can be sort of uh, finagled and manipulated to the point where uh, Womack's pretty much getting full-on attention from Nick Saban and his entire coaching staff while he's on campus as opposed to a normal weekend where the coaching staff have to go out and, and coach a game like let's say Wolf of the Iron Bowl and all these other games. So uh, Womack is certainly the hotter topic right now, but LSU is not slowing down, and obviously the in-state schools in Mississippi aren't slowing down either. So more contenders and true contenders than Isaiah Prince. But, again, the timetable for Prince is so relaxed that Alabama has to try to make a move with Womack in the meantime. So, that's truly the, the drama in the offensive tackle scenario, and clearly Alabama needs one. You've seen what happened you know, with Cam Robinson. After that, there's no true left tackle perhaps on the entire roster in terms of you know, from early in his development to the moment he gets to campus, you say that kid is a left tackle. And I think Prince and Womack, both 6'6", plus 300 pounds plus, both of those guys are clear left tackle type of talent. So Alabama will need to go get one, and, and I think they will ultimately. Well, John, and I want to ask another prospect who may be reclassified, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, but he visited for Texas A&M, and it's Chidi Okiki Valentine. Kind of talk about him. Alabama and Georgia have been mentioned with him, Georgia more prominently, but uh, where does he kind of fit in on Alabama's board? Yeah, he's he's the wrinkle. He's he's the true wild card because we don't even know what class he's going to be into. Right now, right. he's a 2016 so kid. Wait, right now, he's a 2016 kid. Um, background on him family from Nigeria, so advanced in the classroom, as you see, all across the board, really with everybody who's not from this country, which is sad. Anytime they come here, they always seem to be ahead of the game, ahead of the pace, and that could enable him uh, to get out of high school as soon as, as, as this semester. You know, it could be that quick, uh, but again, there's a lot of sort of uh, jumble in between that scenario. Um, not only did he, he go from Nigeria to Miami, but now he's moved from Miami to Georgia, so not only are you dealing with credits from another country, but now you're dealing with credits from another state. So each state has its own uh, graduation requirements. That is always a sort of a tricky scenario, just ask both Scarborough. So the fact that, that he's in Georgia now makes it uh, tougher to deal with. And, of course, in the meantime, it increases Georgia's stranglehold 
on his possible commitment. You know, the the theory is that not only is he living with people who are more inclined to, to get him towards Georgia, but obviously location helps helps the Bulldogs in that scenario as well. The, the Florida State Seminoles were actually the, the initial leaders and perceived leaders for his commitment because another Nigerian import, Abdul Bello, in the class of 2015, very similar scenario from the same area in, in South Florida, committed to FSU this summer. Kiki Valentine was there that day, and it was sort of this assumed, okay, you know, we you got one uh, Nigerian projection, I'll bring in the other one next year, and they had grown close. So that was sort of uh, the thought all along. Well, now uh, the reclassification stuff came up. The numbers changed for, for Florida State. The numbers uh, are still open for Alabama and Georgia. So that sort of puts put those two SEC schools in the forefront and then moves. So that changes you know, everything. That changes literally who he hears from every day, from who he's living with out uh, in Georgia, so it, it all has, has changed. And, of course, as you said, Drew, he visited, uh, finally, he visited for the first time since the summer uh, for the Texas A&M game, enjoyed it. You know, standard visit, uh, not going to make a decision. And, and Alabama's hands are tied as well because, you know, until they know the reclassification scenario, how could you tell a kid that, hey, you know, you can't tell him you're, you're, you're good to go no matter what because you don't know what if he's in 2015, you can't tell him the same thing you're telling Matt Womack when both of those guys are very liable to jump on board at some point. So it gets really tricky on both sides of the coin uh, for a guy like Okiki Valentine, but certainly a four-star guy in 2016 and a top 100 guy in 2016. Talent is there. Obviously, the mental pedigree is right there. The physical pedigree is is something that needs to be developed, um, but it it can be done in a short amount of time. You've seen it with the Quandra brothers. You've seen it with several scenarios over the last decade or so, and, and what college football has become. You recruit other Bjorn Warner, speaking of Florida State, a guy developed into a first-round draft pick in three years. So um, it, it's part of the game now. So Bello, or not Bello, Kiki Valentine would be a guy you bring in, not like a Cam Robertson to play early, but to sit and develop so that you can have depth at the position, which is what you don't have now. So it's sort of a win-win in the end for Alabama to be in play for him. But, but again, Georgia probably a little bit more in the driver's seat right now. And then truly the, the classification issue is, is a big one. You know, it could make or break Alabama's interest. So I think the Tide would prefer if he was a 2016 guy, give them more time to make up whatever ground they need to. Uh, but, of course, Georgia would prefer him to be 2015 to get him in and have him influence to sort of just keep the ball rolling and stay in Georgia, which is a little easier to comprehend for a guy like that. So uh, he's certainly in the mix somewhere. We just don't know how high because of that that reclassification question, and, and I'm told we'll know in the next month or so. So basically, the high school season will end here in the next few weeks for this program. You know, I know in Alabama they're, they're one week away from wrapping this whole thing up in the regular season, so after that it'll sort of hit the next phase, uh, which is a complicated one in Georgia because you've got a very, very small school, so that makes it even more difficult to sort of uh, project. But I'm told before the Christmas break we'll know a lot more about his chances to make it into 2015, which is what he wants to do. He wants to sort of get the ball rolling and get to college already, which you can obviously understand from a guy dealing with so much turnover and moving all the time. So it'll be interesting regardless of where he ends up, but certainly he'll be a factor with Alabama either way. But, of course, the police scenario for him to get to Tuscaloosa permanently would be if he was 2015. John, obviously both young men had excellent visits to Tuscaloosa recently. That being said, what are the realistic chances of Alabama signing either C.C. Jefferson or Byron Cowart? 
Yeah, great question, uh, CC. I think I think um, we overreacted. Not we, because I didn't. But I think the general uh, industry overreacted to each guy uh, the wrong way. So, for instance, uh, a lot of people after that visit said, you know what, Byron Cowart, Bama made a huge move, possibly number one for him right now. And to me, it couldn't be further than the truth. I've always viewed him sort of in that Drew Richmond category where Alabama has done all it could, all it could do to get to the top of his list. But some guys, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen for Drew Richmond. He's from Memphis, and Tennessee's right there as well. So Ole Miss, Tennessee are going to be in the driver's seat all the way through. Byron Cowart, this is a lifelong Gators fan that has wanted to, if he wants to leave the area, he wants to leave the area to, like, Oregon or USC. There, there was going to be no in-between. So Alabama obviously falls in-between. I know uh, it's not a lack of effort to get it in that regard, to, to, to roll the dice to change the original plan. And I think Cowart is that type of kid. That's why he sort of fluctuated with his decision scenario so many times. He, he has seen ready to make his commitment about four or five times in the process, and every single one of those stages would have ended up with him becoming a Florida Gator. Now, the only thing holding him back now, in my opinion, is obviously the coaching staff. It's not the program. The kid's a Gator through and through. He's always liked them. Same thing for C.C. Jefferson. But obviously, you're going to wait to see who the coach is just in case it's sort of a crazy scenario and you don't understand the new coach, you don't have a relationship with the new coach. That could play a factor and, and prolong the seemingly inevitable. Uh, so I think Alabama, again, did all it could. You know, it was the whole nine yards, red carpet treatment, breakfast at Saban's on Sunday, the whole nine with that, and he was thoroughly impressed with it. But I don't. I think the reaction from the industry has been so gaudy and, and, and positive that it's overblown. I don't think Alabama has climbed to a higher spot than number two at the absolute best for Byron Cowher. And I say that because Florida State is probably the most likely school he'll end up with if he doesn't end up at Florida, which, again, would be a major upset in my opinion. So I think um, Florida, Florida State, 1 and 1A, and then possibly a random West Coast school could be number two, and then Alabama's fighting to get to that spot with Byron. Now with CC, I thought it was the other way around. The returns were were sort of uh, status quo as opposed to really positive like they were for Coward. Uh, And I think that was overblown as well. I think CC has always held Alabama – in very high regard. I think the tide has been number two for him for a very, very long time, again, behind the Florida Gators because of that same situation that Coward uh, is in with his fandom and his longtime stance with the program. He's publicly uh, backed Will Muschamp as much as possible because, you know, as, as he gets closer to adulthood, that's the, the coach he resonates with and likens to the University of Florida, which is his school of choice, you know, before he was a recruit. So those, those things factor in, I think, more that people realize this isn't a casual, yeah, you know, I rooted for Florida just because this was an, I was a big-time Gator fan all the way through and through. So I think uh, the Gators have long had the lead for CC as well, but I think Alabama's been number two for him for a while. You know, he's visited much more than Byron Coward has, so his reactions aren't going to be as, uh, I guess, surprising as a guy like Coward, who has only visited, I think, one time. So uh, his impression was, was certainly more um, open to change than a guy like CeCe. CeCe, it's more about the coaching staff. It's more about developing the relationship. It's more about spending time with the players as opposed to firing where it's more about the facilities. It's sort of the, the almost an initial oppression uh, for a guy like that. So I just think the goal of each visit was so different 
that the reaction was going to be overblown either way for both of them. So I think that's the scenario. I think Alabama's in really uh, in a very good position for C.C. Jefferson. I think they're still at a strong number two. Ole Miss uh, was sort of a trendy pick, and I think that's what what people did with C.C. Uh, when he visited Ole Miss for the Alabama game, just like they're doing with Byron right now. So they're shooting them right up the list because it was it was a very impressionable, happy, happy time type of visit. Uh, and I think, yeah, that day, sure. If you would ask CC that Sunday, you know, who was the school he's most likely to commit to, if he was being honest, he probably would have said Ole Miss. But now, three and four weeks later, it's time to decompress and sort of get back down to earth. Uh, even with the Alabama official in his rear view, I think it goes back down to where it should have been in the first place with Florida number one, Alabama two, and then Ole Miss uh, fighting to be in that third spot. But again, Florida State is another school looming for C.C. Jefferson, just like it is for Byron Coward, LSU in the mix somewhere as well. So I think Alabama stayed exactly where they were entering the visit for both of those guys. Coward probably number three, Jefferson probably number two. So certainly they have a shot at, at, at each guy, and there's some talk about uh, Coward wanting to come back to Tuscaloosa, which would, of course, only increase that trend. Uh, but until those things happen, I don't think Alabama could feel like they're they're higher than number two or three for Coward. So a little overblown by the, by the industry, which happens at times. It was sort of a slow a slow weekend. There were only two official visitors on campus, but I think uh, Alabama didn't didn't hurt their stock for either guy, but they didn't help it as much uh, as, as maybe it seemed in, in Coward's case, and they didn't hurt it as much as it seemed for Jefferson's case. So they're they're in, they're in a good position for both, and they'll make a run at both uh, no matter what. Also wanted to ask you, John, is since you mentioned Florida State and how they've kind of jumped in on some guys here late, uh, well, relatively late, uh, Alabama for a while was looking really, really, really good for Kendall Sheffield. But it, it appears now that the uh, track star slash cornerback Tony Brown clone from Texas may be uh, leaning Tallahassee's way. Well, this is this is where it gets really interesting because defensive back is, is a scenario for, for both Florida State and Alabama where, you know, if you're going to add a Kendall Sheffield, you, you have to worry about guys who are already on the commitment list seeing that number one corner on scout.com joining your commitment list and saying, well, let me, let me take a step back here. So that's where it gets really interesting for, uh, for, for both Florida State and Alabama because Alabama's already got six committed. Now, Florida State got a good group now, and they're about to add to it most likely on Friday with another five-star type of guy in Tavares McFadden. So, uh, and then they have other in-state priorities as well. Devontae Davis, another one to keep an eye on for the Seminoles. So let's say both of those guys jump on board to FSU, and all of a sudden both Bama and FSU have a stockpile, a stockpile of defensive backs so not only do you have to wonder about Sheffield's uh, feelings going into that, but you have to worry about those other commitments on each list and their feelings going into it. So I think FSU has more to lose in that scenario because they're in-state guys. Tavares McFadden, Calvin Bruton, um, Devontae Davis, if those guys end up at FSU like feel they will, uh, I think th- those guys will be quicker to jump off ship because Devontae Davis has Florida right in his back pocket and Miami as well. Tavares McFadden has Georgia where his buddies and, and high school teammates, Sonny Michelle and Isaiah McKenzie, have made a freshman impact right in his back pocket. Sheffield um, would certainly be an upgrade over most of those guys, but I think FSU's got McFadden highest on their board, so that's a factor for them on the staff side of things as well. So it's, 
it's a little more tricky than it appears on the surface. On the surface, it looks like, well, you don't say no to a five-star. Certainly, I don't think either school would at the end of the day, but I think the numbers hurt Florida State more than Alabama, which is another advantage for the Crimson Tide. Um, and there's several other ones as well. One, the timing. You know, Sheffield took his official visit to Florida State for the Notre Dame game, which obviously anybody who would have been at that game, I mean, unbelievable atmosphere, crazy dramatic scenario at the end of the game, much like it was for Ole Miss and Bama, which is why people thought C.C. Jefferson was ready to commit to the Rebels. People probably thought Sheffield was ready to be a Seminole that day. But those kids are calculated, they're five stars, and they know they have to go through the entire process. Now, Sheffield couldn't be more opposite to CC in terms of how vocal he is, but he knows that, that he's got to go through the whole thing. And, and then track helps FSU as well. You know, Florida State won national titles in track, Alabama looking to get to that point, and certainly they've established the potential to be like that with Tony Brown and Marlon Humphrey of late, um, which, which could help them in the end. So it could end up being a back and forth between the two, but the timing favors Alabama. He's going to make that visit in December as opposed to mid-October. Um, the scenario with the numbers, I think, benefits Alabama because Tide, you know, in theory, would be more willing to lose an out-of-state guy than FSU would be willing to lose an in-state guy. And it would be multiple in-state guys that FSU would have at risk as opposed to Alabama where it would be, you know, the, the prospects are from Tennessee, Georgia, uh, New Jersey, uh, so uh, Texas. So, so that's where it defers. Um, and then that sort of connection uh, favors Alabama because the whole Texas sprinter corner thing, you know, that's Tony Brown in a nutshell. Uh, and it happens to be the kid that, that he looks up to the most. You know, after Tony Brown beat him uh, two years ago, he said, well, I've never lost a race, so why am I losing the race to this guy? And all of a sudden he ends up being a five-star corner on the back end, and then Sheffield ends up doing the same exact thing. So he's only a year younger. So I wouldn't say he looked up to Tony, but he certainly they, – they track each other, if that makes sense. And they actually talk a lot and have talked a lot since Tony ended up at Alabama at the opening. Kendall was very honest, you know, for a brief moment about uh, just sort of you know, talking trash to him and, and picking his brain when he did make it to Tuscaloosa. And remember, he visited right after the opening where it was overwhelmingly positive. So Alabama has plenty going for it with Kendall Sheffield, the timing, the numbers, the connection, and then track. You know, that it's something that, you know, Nick Saban has in his back pocket from the Marlon Humphrey, Tony Brown scenario that you need to lay out track sooner rather than later with all of these guys and truly uh, embrace it uh, as, as a major factor in the recruitment. And I think um, he's done a good job uh, of that with Sheffield and his family. And then, of course, you, you've got this Texas uh, late late game scenario that Alabama's been able to pull these last few years. Ashawn Robinson in 2013, Tony Brown in 2014. Kendall Sheffield seems like the next domino to fall for Alabama. So I think, you know, again, official visits are supposed to be amazing. They are literally paid trip for you to go have the best two days of your recruiting life. And that happens five times a year for all these senior recruits. So I think uh, it was the first one for Kendall. He liked it. His family liked it. But, again, anytime those kids leave campus as uncommitted recruits, it benefits the next school that is able to host them for an official visit because eventually the spectrum will all condense and it'll, they'll all appear to be similar. So your initial thoughts on each school and your evaluation of each school become more paramount because all the visits were awesome. All of them had great atmospheres. All of the fans were great. You get where I'm going with it. So the initial evaluation is, is, is the biggest one. 
before the final one. And, and a lot of times they're very similar because um, everything in between gets sort of blurred and rubbed together. So I think that could be a scenario, again, where Alabama benefits from the Kendall Sheffield scenario. And it doesn't hurt that Texas A&M isn't as hot as they were a month ago. So there's a lot of things heading in the right direction for Alabama, and they'll have their shot to sort of close the deal a couple of weeks before he announces at the Under Armour game uh, in January when he takes his official visit. And, and I could bet that his host is probably going to be some guy named Tony Brown. <laughs> Very well said, John. And another kid to ask you about, uh, he's just been tweeting tonight with Blake Barnett, who got to know him at the opening. I know he's been recruiting him behind the scenes. He's very hard to get into to talk to because his inner circle is tight. Doesn't do a lot of interviews, but do you? I, most of the most of the scuttlebutt around Damian Harris of Berea, Kentucky, has been either Ohio State and Kentucky has had some momentum lately. He's supposed to officially visit Alabama. Do you give Alabama much shot at Damian Harris? I think now that everything is playing out how it was supposed to with other running back recruits, and of course right. recently that Dr. means Patrick. Patrick Patrick going to Florida State. I think it's sort of, um, even though it was predicted, I think the fact that it's now happened helps Alabama with Damian Harris. There's not a lot when it comes to running backs and when it comes to uncommitted running backs in the class of 2015. It was already a weak group compared to 2014. I looked yesterday, nine five-star running backs in the class of 2014 on scott.com, just one in 2015, and it's obviously Javon Robinson. So, there was a big drop-off going into the group uh, as a whole, and then from there it seemed like there was only four or five guys that Alabama was really putting a lot of effort into. And, of course, Patrick will still probably make it to Tuscaloosa before it's all said and done, and that's great. But, but again, this is a guy who, who's been pegged to FSU for four years, and he followed through with that on Monday. So I think it's safe to say that's most likely out of the window. Johnny Frazier is another interesting one to keep an eye on just because he seems so willing to visit other schools despite his Florida State commitment. And, again, tons of irony there. Uh, so uh, I, I would suspect he probably doesn't even end up at FSU. But, again, that doesn't mean he's going to end up at Alabama either. So, again, we'll see if he visits and, and when that happens. Harris has sort of always been the one that has held the tide in high regard and never been public about his leaderboard. He's been public about the top schools, but never an order, never a specific slip that, that made people think, you know what, done deal to Kentucky, done deal to Ohio State. Uh, it was all sort of, like you said, his inner circle being tight, and if something leaked out, people ran with it, and it was like done deal to, to this school or that school. So I think Kentucky and Ohio State, you know, going into the season, clearly the two, the two schools to be, and still probably the two schools to be, for him, uh, but again, the availability uh, in this class and maybe Harris seeing that, you know, there's only one running back committed to Alabama right now, and he's probably the most, the least talked about top 10 running back in the history of scout.com <laughs> and any recruiting service, and Desherry's Flowers, uh, because right. the guy is injured all the time. He doesn't have Twitter, a real Twitter at that, and uh, he never seemed to do interviews because he doesn't like to do interviews, and he doesn't have a cell phone. Exactly. So, all those things add up to being like you could almost forget that Alabama has a running back commitment right now. And then there's a whole other camp within that that thinks he's never going to play running back at Alabama. So in terms of an outsider's Crimson Tide 2015 class, it seems more available than Florida State, which is already playing uh, a big-time true freshman and has some young guys waiting in the wing, or even an Ohio State that is playing some true freshman right now. Alabama's the team that's playing the older guys. Um, that has guys potentially leaving early 
with the NFL, and that probably changed a little bit with the Kenyon Drake injury, but still, Yeldon certainly, you would imagine, with the wear he'll have, ready to go and test his medal at the next level. So there seems to be some availability at Alabama. Uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned, Drew, Blake Barnett, I mean, he doesn't like to reveal a lot about his, his recruiting dealings, unlike Makai Brown, who will tell you everything. Um, but he's working really hard on skill guys. This is what he wants, and, and receiver has been a scenario where it's worked out. You know, they feel really good about Calvin Ridley, and I'm told that there's no chance he ends up anywhere else. So if Blake has heard that, he's moving down the pecking order, tight end, running back are, are the next two priorities. Uh, probably in reverse order, running back will be the bigger priority with, with Hale Hinch is so solid. So I think uh, he's sort of locked in on Damian Harris right now, Jacquez Patrick again. Never really a true you know, we have a chance type of option for Alabama. So it's just sort of natural selection at that point. Johnny Frazier wasn't at the opening. Johnny Frazier committed to Florida State for, for some time now. So it's, even if you're not, you know, as plugged in as Blake Barnett is and, and you're not getting the direction that Blake Barnett can have with the coaching staff, Damian Harris was always the next logical choice with everybody else being committed to another school. So in terms of Blake's resources, I would say he easily spent more time trying to communicate with Damian Harris. And, again, there's, there's, a, there's a scoop that is building here, and I don't know a lot about it right now. I'm working on it. But it says that there will be an ad very, very soon before December. So, clearly a guy who's thinking about enrolling early, which Damian Harris is in that camp right now, uh, and it's said to be a skill guy. So, that tells you receiver or running back. Lawrence Cager, to my knowledge, not thinking of enrolling early, and there's a lot of hurdles with tracking that wide receiver and getting into Tuscaloosa. Ohio State's his dream school. He's been on record with that. Again, Damian Harris never been on record with anything like that. So there's already one clear hurdle with Lawrence Cater. Virginia Tech making a push to keep him in the mid-Atlantic. Notre Dame, one of his most recent offers. Ole Miss and Drew Richmond recruiting him hard now. So a lot of hurdles for Alabama to get Lawrence Cager. We know how hard it's going to be to get Terry Godwin. We know how hard it's going to be to flip either K.J. Hill or Will Bragg from their in-state school, Arkansas. So running back seems to be the more logical scenario as to where this scoop could be developing and, and coming from. Uh, and within that group, obviously, as we just laid out, Damian Harris seems to be the most logical target for that potential scoop. So uh, there's, a, there's a camp that feels really good about either him or Johnny Frazier. Uh, so I would lean towards him just, again, by what we laid out. So if that's true, it's very interesting um, that Blake Barnett is, is focusing so much of his time on Damian Harris. So again, once he makes that trip to Tuscaloosa, I would I would definitely um, you know raise the the alarm level on his potential commitment because uh, it seems like the stars have aligned more based on what we see, based on what we're hearing, and based on um, the good old scenario game that we always like to play in recruiting. So I think. He's a more intriguing prospect today than he was even two weeks ago to follow for Alabama. And I think he could ultimately be the number two back in the class. Or if he's not, it could be a one-back class. Remember, Bo Scarborough is always waiting in the wings. So that sort of gives Alabama some insurance to go all in on a guy like Damian Harrison. And he's number one back in the country at the high school level, so why not? Yeah, one more question for me, John, because – there, obviously, uh, recently, Mika Fitzpatrick made a visit to FSU. There's a lot of talk about them making a big, you know, play for him. I've also heard that the Alabama staff could be talking to Minka about playing safety because, as everybody knows, Landon Collins is likely to go to the NFL. Uh, Derek Williams is a senior. Nick Perry is a senior. They need safeties. 
what would you say about Minka moving to safety? I've heard he's he's been uh, uh, when approached by the Alabama staff, he's been uh, you know a positive about it, and has even been a you know it's been something that he would he would he, he wouldn't mind trying. Where would you see him as a say, or how would you see him uh, adapting to the safety position on the college level if that were the case? Well, it's, it's funny. It's sometimes the stars just align and things happen and they help you out without you even knowing it. Going into this past um, summer, Minko was sitting down with his coaches over at St. Peter's Prep and, and, and he was playing corner last year the whole time and, and he wasn't getting thrown to a whole lot. You know, it was sort of the Marlon Humphrey treatment where I got to just be a, a really good run supporter, play physical, and, and basically just wait till I get on offense so I can run the ball and catch touchdowns. Well, they decided to make the switch in the summer and say, you know what, let's try playing safety. Um, so it was sort of experimental at first, uh, and they get to their first scrimmage game, and he has an interception, and he pops Kareem Walker, the number one running back in the 2016 class, lays him out. So the coaches say, well, we have something here. So Minka decides to stay at safety along with the staff for this entire season where he has played the entire season. He's played uh, in the box safety, that high sort of Ed Reed classic uh, uh, outfielder, center fielder, free safety. So he's done a little bit of both as a true safety this fall. So what what a godsend for Alabama uh, because this kid was a pure cover corner, finesse, you know, can play zone, can play man, run with the guy, you know, big size type of corner. And all of a sudden he has fun at the opening moving around and they do it at the high school level, and now he's liking it even more. So it makes sense that you're hearing those positivity coming from the Minka Fitzpatrick camp about him possibly playing safety. And as you said, there's a clear need. There's no, It's no secret that Alabama has loaded up on a bunch of guys who can play safety if they need to. Rico McGraw, Deontay Thompson, Sean Burgess-Becker, Ronnie Harrison, Montreux Custis, Minka Fitzpatrick, all six defensive backs Alabama has on the commitment list today have all played safety in high school at all, and most of them still play safety in high school. So no coincidence that Alabama has done that. And then some of those guys might be better corners, but as you said, the need is that safety right now, and Alabama hasn't been shy about switching guys later in their development. So I think um, it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck. And out of these you know, six guys, and of course if Kendall Sheffield joins that group, he'll be a pure corner. But out of these six current guys, you know, two or three of them are going to have to play real soon. So you figure um, Minka Fitzpatrick has the tools to play both, but not the experience that, uh, let's say, Deontay Thompson has at playing a true safety. So maybe Deontay is the most ready than uh, Custis and McGraw are are in there somewhere as well. But stealing for Minka overtakes them. Uh, So if if, if Minka and Deontay are the two most ready, where does Harrison fall in? Well, he's a developmental guy because he's played a lot of quarterback and plays a little safety in high school. So there's some fun scenarios to play out with the safety position um, to find out which of these guys uh, are the ones ready to play today. So I think Minka, a year ago, you would have said no, and that's probably why Alabama didn't offer him a year ago, even though every other school in the country was going all in on the guy. Um, they, they sort of wanted him to earn it. And then, of course, at camp this past summer, he still didn't earn it. He didn't earn it until January, of course, committed on a day. So, the scenario was, was a very uh, patient one for Alabama, and I think it's going to be reciprocated with a guy like Minka because of his versatility and because of his willingness to play out of his position. The guy hasn't played one position ever. He's played two and three positions on offense, two and three positions on defense, 
special teams, the whole nine, uh, all the way through his high school career. And those guys are always the most intriguing to think about their ceilings because they don't even really know how good they can be when they do hone in on one position. We're seeing it now with a guy like uh, Ronnie Clark. You know, he's injured right now, but I'm saying before that, he's been playing three or four or five positions. He's going to move around a little bit and then hone in on one, and he's going to be really good at it. Think of our Gary Stewart two years ago. Same scenario, playing four or five positions, but now he's honing in on receiver and actually seeing playing time more, you know, quicker than we thought uh, compared to some other guys in that class, like a Robert Foster. So once these supreme athletes hone in on a position, the sky could be the limit if it's, of course, the right position. So I think Minka has the size to play safety, six one and a half, two hundred pounds. He can play physical, as we said, knocking out a guy like Kareem Walker. He has the supreme ball skills, and he's a really good wide receiver as well. He's a very smart kid. So um, those are the qualities you look for in a safety. Um, and the fact that there's so many of these true freshmen for next year that will be ready to play safety, uh, it makes Minka uh, one of the top half, you know, uh, in that group because of, of the versatility he brings within just playing that, that true center field role as opposed to other guys like a Montreal Custis or Rico McGraw who are probably more in the box type safety. So um, in, in today's offense, you know, like you said, Drew, you know, you need, you need several safeties, and Alabama's going to lose at least three. So um, I think Minka could end up being one of the true steals in the class for his ability to play safety, which is something nobody talked about even you know two and three months ago, much less uh, much less today. So I think uh, that's a very good point. I think it could very well almost keep Minka in Alabama's class as opposed to other schools saying we're going to throw you a cover corner and, and, and let you go at that point. So it could end up helping Alabama because of the added need and the immediate need at that position as opposed to, again, if he goes to Florida State, he's going to have to sit a little bit. If he goes to South Carolina, he's going to have to sit a little bit. So I think uh, it could end up being a blessing in disguise, just kind of like it was for him to, to get the late offer from Alabama to want that offer a little more, and then obviously like it was for him to even play State this year, which wasn't the plan going into the fall. So I think uh, it's all sort of lining up for Minka Fitzpatrick at Alabama. So it wouldn't surprise me if he would do it as a safety, even though we all thought he was you know, one of the top ten pure cover corners in the entire class. All right, John, one last question for you, and, and we just wanted to ask you to expound on something that you hinted about in your story yesterday on BamaMag.com, the possibility of another JUCO or two emerging between now and January for this class. Yeah, you know, there's some dramatic positions. You know, we've, we've talked about, obviously, uh, D.J. Jones was definitely one I was hinting at. In the story, I think uh, offensive line, there's always the possibility to add a guy. I mean, think of a Dominic Jackson a season ago. This was, this was a prospect that committed to UCLA first, and it was almost off the radar for Alabama, and all of a sudden they make a late push uh, at the end of the season and bring him in. So I think there's always um, the willingness from Alabama's perspective to go get JUCO guys, but only when they need them, only at position of need. Think of a guy like Ty Florney Smith in last year's class. Nobody saw that coming, but he ends up sneaking in because Alabama couldn't really lock down a, a tight end that they saw fit at the high school level. So again, if this offensive tackle scenario plays out like it, it seemingly could, where a guy like Matt Womack ends up sticking with LSU, you know, after Les Miles hits the gas and, and they, they hit the gas on Monday by visiting him in his house, because he signed a financial aid agreement with them, which they can, you know nobody else can even do right now. Um, if he sticks with LSU or stays in state at one of the Mississippi schools, and Isaiah Prince, you know something happens and he can't make his official visit, and he ends up just 
going the conventional route with, with, with Maryland, like we've seen guys in that region do of late, especially on the offensive line. We're thinking of a Damian Prince uh, of a season ago. So those, those scenarios can very well play out. And we know Drew Richmond and Martez Ivy are long shots anyway. Uh, so I could see left tackle being one of the spots that, that they dip into the JUCO route. We've talked about Javon Robinson. Uh, we've talked about D.J. Jones now at the defensive tackle spot. And I think, you know, the, the, the back-end scenario, the, the super, super long shot scenario, when it comes to, to plucking a junior college guy, could even be wide receiver. We've seen how much of a big impact these guys can make. These guys are ready when they go when they go play JUCO, um, they're getting the ball a ton. Those offenses are more sophisticated, obviously, than high school. So those guys are ready to go. Look at, you know, Alabama made a, made a, a big push for him, uh, ultimately failed on it. But uh, there was no secret that he was going to make this kind of impact uh, his first year at, you know, the D1 level or the, the FBS level, whatever we're calling it nowadays. So I think that could be the, the super dark horse, you know, if Godwin sticks to Georgia, Cager, commits elsewhere, Dalen Charlotte flips to LSU, and all of a sudden all you got is Calvin Ridley, uh, I think that could be the scenario where they go get a guy real late in the game. I couldn't even give you a name right now on the wide receiver front, but the good news is that it's one of the positions where there's so many guys uh, who you can make a move for. Uh, there's so many guys catching a ton of passes. I mean, even at East Mississippi with, with Chad Kelly, you know, tossing it all over the yard. I'm sure there's a couple of guys there. So I think defensive tackle, Running back, wide receiver uh, are, are the main positions. Our offensive tackle as well, obviously, are the main ones to keep the closest eye on with Juco's. I don't envision a defensive back. I think Alabama's good there. I think they're good at linebacker. They're good. They're good on the pass rushing front as well because a lot of these sort of tweener guys they have committed, whether they're going to be a defensive end or an outside linebacker like a Makai Brown or Christian Bell, regardless of where they end up, they're going to be rushing the passer. So that's sort of squared away. Interior O line squared away. Quarterback as well. So. It's sort of the only spots remaining that there could be some drama, uh, running back, tackle, defensive tackle, uh, a wide receiver, where I think you could see an ad. I don't think they go back-to-back years and use Juco for, for the tight end route. I think uh, tight end is going to be where uh, you go all in on Hell Henches, and, and that might be it, and, you know, and unless you go super late game you know, for one of the sleepers we've talked about, like a Kadeem Day who's not even really truly on the radar today but could be two months from now. So I think there's other options you could take at those kind of positions. I don't envision them doing the same thing they did last year uh, in terms of the two co-ranks. But certainly that, that is always an option. And, and as you guys both know, covering Alabama way longer than I have, there's always one prospect that we are never talking about that ends up in the class. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was a JUCO guy in this year. All right, well, John, we want to thank you again for your time. Uh, it's always great to have you. Uh, go ahead and uh, – I'll let you tell the listeners uh, about your podcast and about uh, your daily doings on BamaMag.com. Yeah, you know, check us out on BamaMag every day. You know, we're pushing more free content right now just to sort of give you a better taste about what you can get every day on BamaMag.com. And as you can hear me as I ramble, I'm about analytics. I really like going deeper than, you know, this kid committed, this kid is taking an official visit because I think that's what it's become. You know, it's such a, an evaluation type of scenario for each kid that we need to treat it as such on our end of the equation. Uh, so you'll get that every single day on BamaMac.com. Of course, Q&As every week. Uh, I mean, we, we can go at it at any point uh, of the day in terms of the uh, recruiting scoop, uh, and I'm honest about it. That's, that's, I think my quality is that I'm honest about it. If I don't know the future of Preston Williams, I'm not going to tell you that Alabama has a good shot 
because he had a family member who kind of played for the Crimson Tide. So, you know, we'll have that going for us on Scout.com. And, of course, you get the whole Scout.com experience as well. And now you even get, you know, discounts on game tickets. So you actually can save more money than you spend if you sign up for Scout.com and like to go to, to some football games. And then within that, we do uh, our Crimson and Blue Chips podcast. It's sort of a, a, a daily reset three times a week. Uh, on sort of the last 48 hours of recruiting because it's become, you know, part of the game where you have to track it that much because a lot can change in such a short amount of time. And within that podcast, you know, we, we bring in guests. We have, uh, of course, analysis, news notes, tidbits, player spotlights. Sort of a, it's an easy way to catch up if you're not able to read uh, all the stuff that gets pumped out on BamaMag.com. And it's always free no matter what, so you don't have to even be a member to, to keep up with that. It's called Crimson and Blue Chips that we even – uh, created a Twitter account for it, so please follow that at CABC Pod. Of course, short for the Crimson and Blue Chips podcast. So I appreciate the time, guys. Yeah, John, great stuff, and we'd love to have you on once again, and we look forward to it in the future, man. Great. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. That's John Garcia from Scout.com and BamaMag.com. He just told you all the ways you can listen to him. And uh, we are going to, we went a little overnight, but it was such good information. I didn't want to cut him off. He was going to roll. Uh, it is currently eight minutes after the hour. We're, we're going to go ahead and sign off on this edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I do want to give one quick, quick shout out. Nobody needs to respond to this. But uh, for the first time in program history, uh, the head coach and two players delivered season basketball tickets in person tonight in Tuscaloosa. Anthony Grant, Levi Randolph, and Rodney Cooper drove around town delivering basketball tickets in an effort to promote the program and taking a page from Patrick Murphy and softball's book. That was really good to read about that. So uh, good, good job, Coach Grant, for, for whoever come up with that idea, and thank you for carrying that out. Uh, but for now, we're going to sign off on this edition of Bams Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. For Drew Diarmond of AlabamaIntel.com, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I am Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com. You're listening to BAMS Radio. Roll Tide, everybody. <laughs>